The MX Vice Show. Welcome to episode 82 of the MX Vice Show podcast, uh, the only podcast that says there's racing going on in Europe and we should probably talk about it. That's what we're here to do. Uh, there hasn't been much lately, obviously a bit of a summer break, an unplanned summer break for the MXGP series, but we're getting back into it this weekend and before we know it, the series will be over. We're only seven rounds into, well, they say 18, but uh, things are going to wrap up here quite quickly. As always, we'd like to thank Fly Racing, Liat, Planet Motor Holidays, Prox Racing Parts, Technical Touch, KYB, Even Strokes, MXGP TV, Backyard Design UK, Asterix Knee Braces, Armour Nutrition, and Blenzel Oils for making this thing happen, giving us a platform to share our thoughts on MXGP and keep you people entertained because, yeah, why not? Why wouldn't you want that? Lots of things coming up on the show today. Plenty to talk about. There's been some big moves in the week we were gone, uh, so there's that to talk about. There's regular segments like Armour You Smarter Than a Birth. That's definitely happening. 100%. I can't wait to get there. I almost <laughs> want to get there right now. And uh, yeah, your, your questions answered and a few other things as well. As always, the first part of the MX Vice show is presented by our friends at Fly Racing. Fly Racing has redefined expectations in safety and performance with the Formula Helmet. Tested on the most advanced equipment in the world, the Formula Helmet's overall performance is best in class in both high-velocity crashes as well as rotational and low-speed impacts. Featuring Rion technology, conehead EPS, and a 12K carbon shell, the Formula's Advanced Impact System, AIS, introduced a new approach to both protection and weight reduction. Weighing only 1290 grams, we believe the Formula to be the perfect combination, industry-leading innovation, and ultra-lightweight design. I have never felt more pressure doing a read, and there's a good reason for that, <laughs> as you'll find out shortly, because we've got uh, the perfect mix of co-hosts this week. We've got someone who's drastically underqualified to be on a podcast. It's James Burfield. Hello. Hi. That was probably the best intro you've ever had. How are you? <laughs> uh, good, thank you. I actually do feel under pressure because now I've got two of you uh, okay. with lots That's of enough knowledge. enough from you. And... We don't want you to say much on this podcast because... Okay. You don't... You're going to be like... 2% of this podcast. Shall I just turn my mic off now? That's fine. You can contribute when you want. Uh, and new to the show this week, first time co-hosting. Uh, you may know him from the Pulp MX show, Fly Racing, the industry seating podcast, uh, being a professional racer for 15 years. The Racer X review shows, the Rocky Mountain, KTM, WPS, VIP experience, and uh, many other things that I'm probably forgetting. Uh, it's Jason Thomas. How are you doing? I'm good. It's uh, it's an early morning here in Idaho, but uh, I'm I'm used to that anyway. But I honestly, I listen to this show every week, and uh, it's one of my favorite because it's a unique viewpoint, and I also love uh, how poorly James uh, does in, in these in these segments. And yeah, I think it's it's a perfect combination of knowledge and comedy, and I'm just uh, I'm happy to be happy to be on with you guys. I remember the first time you messaged me saying you listened. I remember I read the email. And I thought to myself, ah, shit, because I suddenly <laughs> felt like, oh, my God, I hope it's good enough. 
No, it's great. I, I listen to it usually when I'm on my bicycle and I'll be out just, you know, in the middle of nowhere, just pedaling and, and I'll find myself laughing, uh, you know, out loud on my bicycle. So yeah, it's, it's definitely been, been great. So uh, plenty to talk about. Oh, James. I was going to say, that's a great thing, JT. Obviously, I'm bringing the knowledge to the show and Lewis is just bringing the comedy. Right, right. You are the more knowledgeable one, especially as you go further back in history and, and really intricate details of MXGP culture these days. I find you extremely insightful. Yeah, I mean, 04 to 07 is a little bit dodgy, but I am working on the other areas. Right, right. Yeah, if you go back to Billy Mack and some of those guys, uh, you really start to shine. Yeah, exciting. Exactly. I'd like to get everyone excited now. Armour you smarter than a birth this week is questions <laughs> on JT's career for James. Oh, no. Well, this is going to be embarrassing for me too. Because oh, my God. Pretty poor. I almost cannot wait. I almost want to, like, I genuinely, like, I That's cannot the end wait. Of the flight contract. No, it's good. They're easy questions. They were, like, like, I could have gone very hard, but they're easy questions. But anyway, uh, we'll get to it. So as mentioned at the top of the show, uh, one key thing happened in the week we were off. Uh, not much happened, to be honest, but there was this one key thing that actually came out a little earlier than um, I definitely expected it to. Uh, Fevra signed a two-year deal with Kawasaki. Uh, doesn't sound like much. He's obviously with Kawasaki at the moment. But crucially, the deal is with Kawasaki Heavy Industries, whereas his deal at the moment is with Kawasaki, the actual team that's running the factory effort. So that's a bit of a... Um, it's a bit of an indication of Kawasaki's commitment to MXGP because obviously everyone's been concerned about uh, them potentially going away or how involved they want to be over here for a few years now. So I, in my mind, that's a, big, um, that's a big move in a few different ways. What was your first thoughts when you uh, saw it, James? If you've seen it. Yes, uh, Lewis, I did. Uh, I, I wouldn't say a commitment, but also intention because um, obviously we've seen what he's done this year and uh, I believe that they see he is a great opportunity to bring a world title in the next couple of years. So hence, you know, they, they've put the money in there. They've, I think the other thing as well is there were a few people after him. So I think they've... Uh, one they've, person. Well, they've gone early to, to, to make that commitment to show that they want to work with him. And I think that's probably what won over. And obviously the couple of zeros on there, which probably helped at the end of the day. I'll tell you what, um, you make a key point there, actually, surprisingly. <laughs> that's what I'm here for, Lewis. <laughs> It was so important for Kawasaki to get Fevra because if they didn't get him, then I don't know what, I genuinely don't know what they would have done. Like, I think that would have, I think that would have been the beginning of the end because they would have been coming to GPs next year to get fifths, hope to get fifths. So, um, yeah, I think it was crucial for, for that very reason, actually. Uh, JT, what did you think when you first saw the news? I was curious to see how this was going to play out because I think there were maybe more than just one interested suitor. Uh, maybe one real offer that he had that he was considering. But, you know, I, I think there were some openings that teams didn't want to fill until some of these dominoes started to fall. And, and it feels like he was the first piece uh, and things may happen fairly quickly now. Um, my, from my estimation, it seemed like Husky was uh, maybe the other most interested party. Is that, is that right? I, I don't know. Okay. Yes, it was. Well, it was JT. <laughs> well, it, from everything, everybody I've talked to, and I've been pretty active over there trying to hire uh, teams to wear fly racing. So I've been asking around. And part of my question process is uh, who's going to wear it? That, that seems like a pretty important piece of that uh, to you know, create value or at least estimate value. How can we make an offer without knowing who's going to be on your team? And I heard his name thrown around more than once. So 
you know, I don't know who the second rider at DeCarway would be. Were they looking at that? Were they entertaining that? I don't know. Uh, that seems like a pretty significant portion of budget to add. And then you factor in, would Jorge Prado want uh, someone that strong of a rider being on that team? It seems like he's already battling that dynamic with Tony and Hurlings and everyone. Uh, and and what is uh, what does Ice One do? There were there were a lot of questions there. Um, so I think for Kawasaki to lock that down in whatever capacity, wherever they decide to put him, that, that was a, a big step and a big coup because I, I think he was easily the most sought after rider right now, at least of those open. You know, it had to be a pretty significant negotiation going on. Yeah, so it's a bit of a weird one because uh, obviously Prado, there's lots of these rumors around Prado, but technically he is under contract. So Fevre is the only like open guy. Yep. And for a few years as well, because Hurlings isn't up until the end of 2023. Sewer isn't up until the end of 2023. Um, Prado's 2024, if you want to count his contract as something that's in play. Yeah, so there's, if for teams that wanted a major player, they had to get Fevre, otherwise they're kind of locked in for the foreseeable. So like, like I said, this was crucial for Kawasaki from that point of view. And also a strange, Kawasaki tend to move in strange ways over here. Weird for them to announce Fevre, Fevre's deal, but not, the team, although I imagine that's because of there must be some contractual reason for that. Obviously, it's heavily, heavily rumored that Ice One are going to be factory Kawasaki next year. Heavily, heavily rumored. So you'd expect him to go there. And I hear that they have a second rider sorted, but for the life of me, I can't find out who it is. Um, you'd think it has to be Vlandering. I would hope it's Vlandering purely on the basis for who else do you get? The silly season's quite simple in my mind in MXGP. You've got the big guys who were on the table, Fever and Prado. Fevre's obviously off the table now and debatable whether Prado is. I don't think we're ever going to get clarity on that. And then you've got the second rung, which is Watson, who may go back to Yamaha. That's Yamaha's decision. We don't know yet. And Vlandering, who's completely open. Those are, outside of those four guys, you're kind of just filling spots for the sake of it. You're not like, those four guys are the four guys. So I would presume, I would hope, I would keep my fingers crossed that Vlandering will get that, um, get that second KRT seat. And uh, I'm pretty sure you join me in that. Hey, James. Yeah, big Flandering fan. And I think uh, that'd be a nice pairing as well because you've got, for the first time, uh, Calvin being on factory uh, machinery on a 450. And uh, it'd be interesting to see what he can do and what better person uh, to have as a teammate than, uh, than Roman. So I think that'd be a solid team um, for uh, 2022. I, you know, you, you've got guaranteed results. The, the, the pressure what they've got on, on, on the off-road side of Kawasaki is obviously Jonathan Ray in, in World Superbikes uh, super is so successful. So Kawasaki are very successful on the road. So they're obviously looking for, you know, to be a player or one of the front players uh, off-road now. Well, that's always, been, that's always been the heavy rumor that Kawasaki are kind of stuck in MXGP as far as how much budget they can put in because Johnny who apparently is quite good on a road bike, is, I, I hear, <laughs> takes up quite a lot of money. I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> I have no idea how much he wins or how many bonuses he must take or how, what his salary would be. But I hear that he takes up a lot of the European budget. That's what I hear. And then add in Alex Lowe's as well. So okay, you've they've got, fully they've lost got two, there. two solid riders there. Um, I can see why they take up quite a bit of budget. But I, I think if they could add Vlander in, but um, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, they did run three and kept Jazakonis on. Mm, that would surprise me. Although I guess Jazakonis would be, now that you say that, I kind of forgot about that. That wouldn't surprise me if he is a second rider at KRT. It'll be either yeah. Jazakonis or Vlander in. I'm almost sure of that. Yeah. But yeah, as I said, key 
that this is Kawasaki heavy industries. I get actually JT. Is that how it works in America? Like is Tomat at the moment contracted to KHI? Uh, yeah, they would be supported by it. Um, now, what his contract actually says on it, who knows? Uh, but yeah, I mean, they are absolutely supported by a KHI. That would that would be underwritten somewhere in the contract. I um I take this as a I do take this as a big positive step forward. I really do. So yeah, exciting that Kawasaki are going to have a race win contender. Obviously, if you look at the numbers, they've won very little in MXGP since 2004. They've won less than Suzuki, which Suzuki aren't even attempting to win at the moment. Although I do have more on that later. So stay tuned for that because my phone buzzed about an hour ago and I still can't believe what it said on it. So more on that soon. But yeah, as far as silly season goes, uh, February was a big one to fall. A lot was riding on what he was going to do. Same with Prado, but again, like the more I hear now, the more it does sound like he's going to stay where he is and this is all just ultimately leading to nothing. But I feel like we're never going to get clarity on it because KTM aren't going to put a press release out saying that oh, we are, like, Prado isn't going anywhere. So it's a bit of a weird one. I presume I'll learn more in Turkey, actually. Um, but if those two are, in fact, sort of done, then things are going to open up um, big time now. And I would presume that the first thing to get sorted would be Watson, Watson Wagon, Watson's uh, second-year option at, um, at Yamaha, because that's completely the team decision. Uh, ben has nothing to do with that. But if they're not going to get one of those other two, then you would keep uh, you would keep Ben, no, James? Yeah, I again, there's there is the opportunity that if Yamaha don't take up the option, would Kawasaki? Well, I have thought this, but I think Yamaha would. I really do. Like, if Yamaha don't take up the option on Ben, then I don't know what we are doing. As in, we as in like the sport. I mean, Ben is a bit strong, but I, I spoke to. Oh no! Last time I spoke to, to Louis, okay. um, Louis basically said they really, really like Ben. Just really nice guy, really nice parents, settled into the team very quickly, uh, has a huge future. So I, I, to be honest, I can't see it happening. The only thing I can see is, is them taking him on for another year. And it wouldn't surprise me if, if they, they go forward with a, a long-term contract because they seem to be very, very happy with him. Is this the first time in a while we've seen more available spots than riders? Um, it seems like the talent... And that could be from uh, guys like Comment de Sal and some of these guys uh, stepping away from the scene. But it seems like teams are scrambling to find talent to fill roles at the moment, which I don't remember being the case. Yeah, it's, it's the strangest thing because it was only like, well, it was literally the offseason just gone all over every social media is, oh, there's too many good riders. There's not enough rides. What's going on? Like, we need more rides. And now you're look, you are looking at factory teams who are like merely just kind of getting a rider to fill that spot, like riders who aren't necessarily factory material. Yeah. Which is bizarre, but I remember like um, 2019. Uh, it was 2019 because that was when we had a little bit of involvement with JWR and it was a real well, no, scramble to try and find riders. Well, that's, that's, that's your take, but what I was going to say is 2019, when Max couldn't get a deal in GPs, I remember saying to him, you've just like, if you're going to stay in GPs, you've just got to find a way to survive for the next year because in a year's time, and especially two years' time, this whole thing's going to just open up. The end of 2019 was a real weird situation where everything was under contract, nothing really changed, and it was all very just. There was no movement and there was no room to move or even explore options. And now, just, well, like you've got people just exploring all over the place. Like it's like Dora the Explorer's out there in the pits. It's a right old, How right do you old know what Dora the Explorer is? 
I don't know. It just came to me. I don't know if it's true. Doris the Explorer? I don't know. Dora, you nailed it. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. That's a little CC, uh, silly season I update. One question, one question on that. So with this lack or the lack of riders out there, is there a chance for a guy like Arnatonis, who's really been off the radar completely, to find his way back onto a team? Because that, that name carries weight, but at the same time, he has had an absolute terrible experience for the last year or two. It's, well, okay, so if you look, let's look at it this way. Yamaha are going to be full either way. Uh, Yamaha will be full. Kawasaki, I would presume, are going to have either Vlandering or Jazakonis. So consider that some sort of variation there. Potentially, there's one spot of Husky. Potentially. I don't even know if they're going to run two 450s, but potentially. Uh, there's definitely... A, well, no, actually, there's not definitely, but there is potentially a spot at Dakali. We don't really know what's going on there with the Crowley situation, stuff like that. Uh, Standing, there's potentially a second spot there, although now I don't really know what's going on there because things seem like I seem to be I hearing believe, lots of different things. I believe Bogers is going to be there. So that would be the same. That would then you'd think be the same team as. Um, so then, what other teams have I? What haven't I? HRC's done. HRC isn't even involved in these discussions. They're locked in long term with everything. Gabin, what? You know what? A, the one story in the paddock that I need to like. I feel like I need to go back and retrace the steps on is how the hell Gabin hasn't ended up being what it was supposed to be when they signed the Yamaha deal. Because when they went Yamaha, the idea was they were going to be the new Wilvo. And I feel like they're very much not that. Which, if they were that, obviously that would be like, you, like it would be worthwhile bringing it up. But you bring it up now, I'm kind of like, yeah, well, if, they, if you can't get a ride, you'll go there kind of thing. Do they need uh, Louis Voster's budget to become that? I'd imagine that might do something. <laughs> but that, was, that was in play. Like, when they went Yamaha, that was like, I, I don't know if it was officially mentioned, but that, everyone in the paddock was like, yeah, like, the idea is, and even an agent told me in Latvia, I said, like, that was the plan, wasn't it? And they were like, yeah, that was, like, the plan was for them to go, for them to take a big step up in Yamaha, but they're merely just a team in blue now. Um, yeah, bit harsh. What does Beta do? Oh, Beta are throwing money around the paddock. They are, f- they are throwing money in every direction. Big money as well. Money that riders are like, I can't believe I got offered this. <laughs> but I think people are still, I think, I think it's still a scary option for people. But if you're Monticelli or Ogres, if he doesn't go standing or a rider like that, even maybe Tonus, maybe that's a place for Tonus. Maybe he can get paid more than he is now. The bike is capable on its day. Like, I'd imagine it would do quite good in Turkey based on what we've seen. Maybe that, maybe that would be an option for him. I'm just, Im- I'm just imagining Bita on one side and Monticello on the other, and they're both offering each other money, and they don't know what to do. They're <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll give you money. No, I'll give you money, and they don't know how to handle this. <laughs> no, I've got more money. <laughs> put, put their money together, and suddenly Bita are the powerhouse in the paddock. <laughs> If they both bring money to the table, then I need to go to them and see if I can work with them somehow. <laughs> I am loving that situation. Oh, no, it's, this is the strangest silly season in a while. And even in America with so many people moving seats, but in MXGP, because so many people are moving seats, yet also it feels like there's so many blanks that no one really knows what they're doing with, which is biz- like, yeah. bizarre. Am I allowed to ask JT a question now? If you like. I mean, I don't know why you say now. You haven't asked to at all. Well, I know that you don't like me asking questions um, because it doesn't, you know, there's a process in, in the Is this going to embarrass me? Uh, no, I, I'm actually curious. You're not going to um, ask him who won on the weekend or something, are you? No, no, I did watch that. Um, and uh, no, my question, JT, would be, 
Given what you know in, in the US uh, 250 and 450 ranks, if a uh, MXGP team were looking for uh, a 450 rider, is there, is there a rider in America which you would recommend or someone you know would fit in with the culture and could do quite well in MXGP who probably hasn't got that type of future in because obviously they're more like, you know, towards AMA motocross uh, rather than um, supercross? Is there, is there one rider which springs to mind who you go, actually, he could do very well in, uh, in Europe? Well, I think Blake Baggett would be the first name. Uh, you know, the variable there is, does Blake want to race anymore? I don't know the answer to that. But if you told me that uh, a factory team was making an offer to Blake sitting here end of August, and he would not have to be prepared until spring of next year, I think that's a interesting situation because he has the talent he's still young enough and you know he's so gifted in motocross he's raced there before he's raced you know motocross of nations in europe he understands the dynamics and the challenges of it but beyond that i don't know you know justin barsha has always been the one that i think everyone pointed to you know his wife is from the uk so there were a lot of tie-ins there but you look at his resurgence this year in Supercross and in Motocross, you look at the strong relationship he has with TLD Gas Gas now. I think that moment may have passed. Um, you know, he's well paid, well compensated. I just think there was a time for that move, maybe two years ago, when things were not looking as bright as they are now. Yeah. Um, but it's it's challenging. Uh the other one more broader picture moment I would say is I think the level of pay has increased significantly for MXGP, just from what I'm hearing. Yeah. Uh, so it's a little bit more attractive than it used to be. Uh, that was always the reason that MXGP lost riders to America was there was just a larger paycheck to be made in America. And I think that gap has closed pretty significantly. So yeah, maybe, maybe there would be an opportunity for one of those guys to come over and, and hopefully it doesn't go the way it did with Ryan Belpoto. But I think that the biggest uh, variable there is just finding someone who's not in the twilight years of their career, because that, that was Villapota. He was just riding this thing out. Um, there wasn't a lot of effort put in on his part. He was fine. It was a means to an end for a contract that he wanted to fulfill instead yeah. of really embracing the opportunity and, and going to chase a world championship. In my opinion, that was not what was going on back then. Um, so that would be interesting to me if someone actually approached it that way, where, you know, the Bobby Moore route, where their goal was to go win a world title, you know, full stop. Yeah. No, that's cool. It's just uh, something that I've, I, I wanted to ask you when uh, I knew that you were coming on the show, because uh, obviously you're best placed and you got your, your ear to the ground and, and obviously you, you, you know the riders quite well. So, and you know what's kind of needed because you spent quite a bit of time in MXGP. So, I, I did. Uh, I did mention Blake Baggett to Roger Harvey, and he was like, "No, he's too old." Yeah, and that's fair. That's that's absolutely a fair point. Uh, but I think for a team that needed a second guy, uh, like say Husky or whoever, to take a flyer on a rider like that would be a, a pretty interesting angle. Um, you know, they would get a ton of press out of it, uh, and the ceiling is winning races. I think he could do it. Now he would have to be healthy and back to form, and there's a lot of uh, uncertainty there, but what a splash that would make. And you want to talk about getting a lot of cameras and eyeballs and, and words written about your team. That would be a pretty interesting avenue to, to consider. 
yeah, it'd be huge. I mean, I, I would just be excited. You know, like there'd be, I, I just know that so many, so many other people would be excited at the prospect of Blake Baggett turning up at MXGP. You know so, what I would really love to see is is a rider like Ty Masterpool, who is talented much more in motocross. His, his supercross skills are just not where they need to be, and that's why he lost his Monster Star uh, Yamaha ride for this yeah. year. But to send him over to the MX2 class would be fun. You know, they're. It, I think he would be competitive. I'm not saying he would win. That that's always a tough ask culturally and tracks and and all that. And and the level is very high. But I think something like that would be much more doable. Uh, it logistically, it's easier, right, to for a team with good equipment to go in and, and offer a privateer rider like Masterpool, who is just scraping by, to come over. That would be fun. That would be that an opportunity. Cool. I I think getting a world class. Supercross motocross guy to make that jump, looking at how high the level of MXGP is, that's tough. That is a because I'm if I am looking at it from the outside, I'm like, look at how we've done in motocross nations. Look how fast those guys are going. I don't want to go jump into that. That looks like I'm jumping into the deep end of the pool. Uh, so I yeah, I think it's a really daunting ask for a lot of riders now. Where maybe. Seven or eight years ago, when the USA seemed to be on top of the world as far as the level, I think it was a an easier ask, at least on the surface, or what it appeared to be, than it does now. It looks very, very difficult now because the field is so deep for MXGP. I would love to see Masterpool on, on uh, like a Steve Dixon team. Yeah, just anywhere where the equipment is is reasonable to where he has a chance, um, just to add that flair to it. Because really, if you look at what is he losing in America, riding for a privateer team on privateer equipment, probably not profitable uh, to have that opportunity to go to Europe, I, I think would be really cool. It'd be a great story. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, you can join us if you want, Lewis. Oh, hi. You're right. How's, it, how's the show going? Good. <laughs> it's great. It's much better than that. Seems okay so far. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've lost my train of thought now. No, I'll tell you what is exciting. And that's a MXGP. Uh, we're heading into a Turkey doubleheader, and it is literally all to play for. I can't even think of the last time a series was this um, this wide open. You'd probably go to 2008. Uh, there were six winners in the first six rounds that year, but no one ever talks about it as being a competitive season. Who knows why? Yeah, heading into Turkey, obviously, guys are leads the championship by 13 points. And he said, we'll start with this. I, we touched on it before, but I think it's interesting now. It's had time to uh, brew a little. Geyser said that winning in Latvia took the pressure off of him or took the pressure that he was putting on himself off, I presume, because he kind of like got back to the top, felt like he was the man again. I don't think it has. I don't think it can because although he won Latvia, that wasn't a dominant ride and he wasn't the fastest rider. And I think there's still just as much pressure on him heading into Turkey, a track that should favor him to prove that he has this thing. He has this thing in his grasp and he can beat all four of those guys straight up because. We haven't seen that in a while. Russia, Russia was phenomenal. Made the best race he's ever done. One of the best races from any rider ever. That was a long time ago now, though. Since then, the shine's kind of gone off a little bit. Won two GPs since, both without winning a moto. Last moto win was Matterly a long time ago. I think Geyser needs to come out and at least win a moto this weekend just to kind of remind everyone He's a man because I think Fevra, Karoli, Prado, Hurlings, I think they all believe they have him covered. Uh, JT, thoughts? I agree. Uh, leaving Russia, I think everybody was very nervous about Tim Geiser, to say the least. Probably more than a little nervous. 
And I don't feel like that is the, the tone anymore. You know, I, I think they believe Geiser can win on a, any given day, but I don't believe they view him as the alpha really in the class anymore. Um, I believe they, they all feel that it's a toss up. You know, if, if Prado has a good moto, he can win. If, if Jeffrey doesn't crash with two, torner, two corners to go, you know, he can win. Tony can still win. Uh, I, I think they all feel that it's anybody's moto every time the gate drops. And for, for Geiser, maybe that's okay. But I think he would be much more comfortable reestablishing himself as that, you know, the championship leader that he is. Uh, but when I look across the points and I look at the results lately, it really feels like it's anybody's championship right now, which is great. I, I love that to have three, four, five guys that are all viewing the championship as theirs. That, that's a great series. James Fultz. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what he does in Turkey. But I, I know what you're saying, and I know he he needs to kind of insert his dominance again to kind of show everybody, uh, you know, he's in control this thing. However, um, I think what you've got now is you've got Hurlins back. Um, not not 100, but he's obviously the the injuries healed. Uh, Crowley's had some time off. Um, everybody's been able to work on some stuff, so. It's going to be really interesting. The doubleheader, I think, is going to be uh, probably plays into some of the riders. I, I, Hurlins might struggle with with having, even though he's had that time to rest. It, he maybe he he might have to pace himself over the two events because they are quite close together. So, I it wouldn't surprise me if Geyser literally came out of, of Turkey with a, a twenty point lead. You just don't. I just don't know what what Tim we're going to see on, on you know, in well, Turkey. I know what everyone's thinking, and I've seen this enough to know this is what everyone's thinking. Everyone's thinking hard pack, jumpy. This is Tim's place. Tim's going to come here. He's going to win. Happy days. Look at the result. We've raced Turkey twice, 2018, 2019. Hurlings has won both. Over, speaking overall, uh, guys has gone 4-2. Caroli's gone eight DNS. Uh, that eighth overall was with a second in a moto and a 15th in the other, so like, but not better than it sounds. Fevra's never actually raced here. He's never actually managed to line up on the gate here. And Prado's only ever been in MX2, so make what you want of that. Even the, the stats don't, well, the, the results even, don't tell me that Geyser has this thing in the bag. Right? The, stat, the stats tell me Hurlings can go into Turkey thinking, being quite confident. Uh, agree, JT? I do. I, I think most people would be surprised by that stat. Uh, but yeah, I, I think there are, there are a lot of storylines all converging because I think the expectation, just like you said, is for Tim to win. But I think Jeffrey is, is probably sitting at, at his home and raising his hand saying, uh, excuse me, remember me? Has, has anybody looked at the results? I'm, I'm pretty, pretty good at this track too. So, uh, and then, you know, you have guys like, Prado, who are sitting back in the points as well as Roman, and they're like, "Yeah, we're we're here too. We're right behind this guy in points." And that, I, like I said, I think that's the most exciting thing is all of them. Uh, and, and it reminds me a little bit of how Anaheim One is for the USA, where everyone's going into the season thinking, "This is my year. This is my championship," because it has a little bit of that break feel. These guys have been off for a full month, and themselves and everyone around them have just been pumping into their ear. This is your championship. You're going to win. We're going to win this. And then now it's, now it's a, a truth test to find out who actually improved over the break. Uh, and who's, you know, we're, we're going to go on a stretch here of a lot of racing in a row. 
to see, yeah, who's the best. I'm interested, actually, JT, to hear your thoughts on Fevra because obviously he, everyone, he's a world-class 450 rider. Uh, everyone knows his pedigree. Everyone knows what he's done, how fast he can be. But we haven't seen him in this position in a while. So I think people are reluctant to really sort of invest in him as a title contender because they feel like at some point this train's going off the tracks. So how do you view it? Do you look at him as in this thing to the end, he can be world champion or are you still kind of putting him fifth on the list of uh, contenders? No, I do. I think he's his own worst enemy, though. The only person that's really stopping Febra from winning is Febra. You know, his mistakes, his crashes, uh, untimely. He's had some really big mistakes. You look at even races like Wommel, where he crashes unnecessarily. You know, just mistakes that he has caused himself. Uh, because we all know it's difficult. You have uh, crashes that sometimes you can't avoid that are not your fault. But most of Febra's mistakes have been self-inflicted. And if he can find a way to remove those, which I don't know he can, if he can, because he's been doing this same thing, even in his world championship winning years, he had crashes. Was Trentino the race where he crashed four times and still won? Um, those, those things seem to have followed him throughout his career. And it's, can he overcome them or can he not? But if he could ever find a way to reduce, I'm not saying remove them completely, but even reduce those he would be very, very difficult to deal with championship-wise. But it doesn't, doesn't seem like he's been able to find a way to maximize his speed, ride on the edge, but then also not have these really costly crashes along the way too. Well, speaking, I said Fevra's never actually lined up for a race here. He did do this GP in 2018. He started it, but he crashed out in time practice, I think, and knocked himself out and didn't race. Like, perfect example of his own worst enemy. Yeah, 2019, he broke his femur just before this event. So, yeah, same, same story. I almost feel like getting through this turkey doubleheader could be crucial for Fevra. I think, I think if Fevra can get through both turkeys in the hunt still, maybe not gain any points but not lose any points, I think then I start to look at things a little differently because suddenly, it's a weird thing about this turkey doubleheader. Right now, we're seven rounds in. It feels like we're early in the season. Once these two events are gone the dynamic's going to shift and it'll feel like we're on the downward slope towards the end. It's a weird, like, it's a real weird turning point in the season, I think. I think, I think it would be interesting if you could go, th and, and it wouldn't take that much work, but if you went through each individual race and you said, okay, when did he crash? Remove the crash. Okay, I'm not saying do better, do worse. He doesn't have to move forward. Just in the position he was in when he crashed and you just start removing crashes and then you adjust the points accordingly. I think the picture changes quite a bit. And that's really more my point is he's, he's his own worst enemy as far as the championship goes. If he could just remove a few of those, he could be leading the championship right now with just a few crashes taken out of the picture. His actual riding is so impressive. So Absolutely. fast, so, like, so fun, impressive, awe-inspiring to watch until you see him picking up his bike from a yeah. very small... And they have been... This year, they have been small crashes for the most part. So that's a slight improvement over before where every crash was a yard sale. But so fast, so fast. His level, his level is probably the highest it's been since he was winning titles on the Yamaha. Yeah, and that's a long time. 20, early 2016 is a long time ago now. Like, yep. that's quite a long, that's a dr long drought to rediscover that form. Like, most people lose it uh, after that long. Yeah, I, I've struggled. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> and you are? We've noticed. <laughs> I, I've struggled with form after being the, the great heights I was. And now I find it quite difficult. But I'm hoping the bank's back. 
<laughs> well, you'll certainly bounce. You are his teammate on Team Green. We, 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 we have to factor that into silly season. Are you, you even still a Kawasaki rider, James? Yes. Uh, okay. we, we're, we're talking about uh, the 22 package at the moment. So, oh, this um, will be good. What can you tell us about the 2022 are Kawasaki line? Are you KHI as well? Yes. Uh, they don't you know what KHI is? They don't, yes. Uh, Kawasaki what? Heavy Industries. Thank oh, you. Oh, you impressed me there. So, um, yeah, we're, we're deep in discussions. The problem is they don't like to make it public because there could be a bit of more with Yamaha. So um, the blue crew are all over me, but, you know, green is in my veins. I think that's actually red that's in your veins. Um, no, it's green. I bleed green. Okay. An interesting one to uh, watch in... There's two, actually, two people that could have gained a lot from this break, and if they have, then that will be uh, telling moving forward. Prado, um, obviously, he was suffering from long COVID, had COVID in his lungs. Uh, that was the reason for his meh start to the season. Um, He's had three weeks now to rest, recover. He's been on his boat a lot. Follow him on Instagram. A lot of boat time. On his boat? Boats and hoes? Okay, brilliant. Don't speak unless spoken to. Okay. <laughs> and now I've lost my train of thought. I'm on, I'm on Instagram. So these three weeks would have given him a time to recover. And uh, what was that, JT? I was going to say, I feel like his boating pictures are like modeling like Tommy Hilfiger or Nautica or some sort of modeling photos. Maybe Ralph Lauren. Okay, I'm, look, I'm looking at him now. Oh, yeah. I said to him once, oh, I'll, I'll, have to come to Sp- I'll have to come to Italy sometime and get on your boat. And he kind of looked at me like, why would you do that? And I was like, oh, I guess I'm not invited then. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's having a, a, a brioche with grapes. Very healthy. But, um, <laughs> but <laughs> if, it's, if he's used these three weeks to actually get healthy and he said he was on a program that would help him move forward. He said that everything was going in the right direction. He had answers. He just needed time. He knew what he needed to do. If he comes out and is strong physically, mentally, all of that good stuff, and starts to reel off a couple of motor wins in Turkey, turn this thing on its head, Prado has, Prado has this thing in his hands, as in everyone else is going to be like, oh, oh dear. But then again, 35 degrees Celsius for the American listeners, 35 degrees Celsius uh, in Turkey. So it's going to be a hot one. So it will be a true test of whether he's got this long COVID sorted, James. Well, I think he has. Looking at his boating picture, he looks pretty ripped. Um, he's sporting some really cool Scott go- uh, glasses. Hair's on point. The great thing is I'm not seeing any rice in there. So he's really trying to cut out the car. Rice? Yeah. Like in his okay. lunch. Um, well, thank but, you, James. But, no, thank you. But my favourite uh, favorite comment is from... This is why my favourite riders in the pits are either Ferrato or Monticelli, just because of this. So Monticelli's uh, comment on uh, Brado's boating picture is porno actor. That, nothing sums up Europe compared to America more than that comment. Just such a European rider comment. But nothing, nothing to say on my um, Prado... Long COVID, progress, turkey, momentum, temperature, any of that? Nah, he's, he's, he's really happy on that boat. I think he's... Uh, okay, brilliant. Thank you for your time. Thank super you for your time. fit now, looking good. He's got a six-pack. Life's good. Okay, Forget JT? <laughs> JT? <laughs> I think he'll be fine. If you look at the level he was on when we left Kegums, you know, the second moto, he, he wins. He 
is able to withstand a, a ton of pressure the entire moto. And then you give him another month to prepare, which he was very adamant about that he was going to work really hard during the break. Uh, I think, I think it'll be great. I, I really expect him to come in at a high level. And, and the, always the biggest variable for Prado is he seems to always put himself in a position to succeed. His starts are so consistent and so strong. You almost have to go in and take success away from him if you are Geyser or Cairoli or any of these guys, because you know he's going to be at the front at the beginning of the moto. I do, I do genuinely look at Prado as the guy who could change the dynamic of this title fight. Prado and Hurlings are the watch and wait and see guys in the sense that in a second's notice, they could really kind of take control of this thing. I truly believe that. And obviously Hurlings has had three weeks now to recover from that shoulder injury. It didn't look like it was hindering him much in Latvia, but if it was, this would have been valuable and maybe he comes out and just suddenly he's like, oh yeah, remember that I do have the ability to go 1-1 every weekend if I want and then we're all like, oh yeah, okay. Like, well, enjoy that, your time at the front. Imagine that he's actually been able to practice and train now because I think he was just kind of going through the motions, you know, therapy during the week, show up and race on the weekends. So he's probably much more back in his normal routine than he has been in a, in a long time. You would think that this, I, I would be concerned if when I speak to him on Friday, if he goes, yeah, well, if there's like a, hint, a sense of like um, doubt or hesitation there, I'd be like, well, that's strange because I feel like you've got the time now and I feel like you should be all guns blazing. But well, I guess we'll see. I think the other thing which, it, just looking at his Instagram, is I think oh he God. could be single again because <laughs> he's no longer with the older lady and older ladies can be quite demanding. What are you talking about? Prado. We were talking about Herlins. Oh, I'm still on Prado. I haven't okay. gone to Herlins Instagram yet. But I think that's a, a valid point that it doesn't, maybe he's now back to the single life. He's got a little bit more time. Not so demanding being with an older lady. He's probably got a lot more energy. Um, yeah, not that so. it matters, but I can confirm that you've Prado been with an older lady. Single. No, Prado is now single. I can't confirm that if seeing she really do care. <laughs> Does it have anything confirm. to do with uh, Ferrato's comment? Is this the reason why he's single? I'd imagine if there's one person who will get to the bottom of that when he finally goes to a GP, it will be James. <laughs> oh, yeah. Leave that with me, JT. I would, All right. I will DM you. <laughs> right. <laughs> Big question. Favorite for the title right now. Seven rounds done. Uh, uh, oh, God, I've got to do math. Uh, 11 to go. <laughs> <laughs> Seven rounds done, 11 to go. We're heading into Turkey. We've had three weeks. Everyone should be at their best now. Favorite for the title, James, go. Even though he's 43 points down, Herlins. Okay, JT, go. Tim Geiser. Oh. Oh, see, uh, Lewis Phillips, I go. I didn't think that was, I didn't think that was, I didn't think that was coming. I really didn't. What, just because, what, what's the reasoning for Geiser? Uh, consistency. And he has made the least amount of mistakes. And I think he can still win. Like, I don't think that just because he hasn't been as dominant doesn't mean he's not going to win. So if you give me the defending world champion with a points lead and he's on form, doesn't mean he's not the dominant guy he was at Russia, but still capable of winning at any time. I'll take the points lead for, for the defending champion any day of the week with who I believe the biggest challenger is Hurlings is 40 plus points down. No problem. I'll take guys from that scenario. I forgot about the whole kill them with consistency thing. I was really hot on that after Latvia. Yeah. Double standards. Yeah. No, I forgot about that. Now that I'm thinking about the whole kill them with consistency thing. I think right now I will go Hurlings. However, Hurlings needs to put his foot down Turkey. If he leaves Turkey and he's gained five points in total, then I will jump ship. But, like, Hurlings needs to act right now. And also, I'm still, 
intrigued by Prado, and I'm also and I'm hoping Fevre can do something just purely because Fevre is a new face up front. And can you imagine seeing a red plate on a Kawasaki? A red plate on a Kawasaki would be the strangest thing that MXGP's ever seen. Well, let's see here. Let's see here. I guess we should talk about MX2 a little bit quickly. Maxime Renault is going to win this title. I look forward to seeing him win the title. Congrats to Maxime Renault. That's where I'm at. James? Yeah, I think I called it at the start of the year, Maxime Renault. Oh, so no. if we rewind a few podcasts, then definitely I predicted this. Uh, there is said, a strong difference between saying hell? that someone is going to do well from them winning. If you say someone's going to do well, that means top three. That doesn't, you didn't call them to win the title. That's like, okay. The people this is like spoken, me saying, Lewis, the people have spoken. Uh, I just. If you want to go I'm, against all the people that listen to this podcast show, which quite rightly heard me say, Maxime Renault. Okay. I just really feel like against JT, it's really shining a light on why you shouldn't be on this podcast. <laughs> I feel like this is the worst thing that could have ever happened to you. I, like, like I said, I've not veered away from Maxime Renault. Okay. I'm not going to just, now. I'd just like you to sit there for a minute and think about how you've performed so far and how you can get better as we move forward. Well, uh, JT, thoughts on, the M- <laughs> JT thoughts on the MX2 title fight? I haven't given up on the rest of these riders because I, I think inconsistency is, is really the norm for this class. Uh, Renault has been great the last two rounds and great job by him. But you look back, you go to look at his results from Oss. Uh, you look at his rounds uh, from the opening round uh, in Russia. I think there's wild inconsistency in this class to come. And if that happens, whether it's uh, Guadagnini or Geertz, I think they could get back into this thing with just one moto. You have one thing go wrong in one moto, and everything's wide open again. <clears throat> and I think it's easy to forget how dominant Geertz has been over the years when he's firing on all cylinders. So maybe this break has given him the time to get back to form, both in his riding and, and on Instagram. His Instagram is one of the greatest <laughs> things that's ever happened to MX, the MX2 class. And I'm really looking for some strong performances going into Turkey. Well, that is a point because maybe, like we all think, like Gertz was dealing with a knee injury, so maybe he's made progress. And as you would have seen on his Instagram, he has enjoyed a Sunlight and Kempen solo system every day since Latvia. His Instagram is certainly suffering from multiple injuries. Multiple. I am, um, fun, fun fact, uh, Matterly GP, the, his social media guy, was in the same hotel as me. And by complete happenstance, I was riding, I was riding, I was going down in the lift or the <laughs> elevator. And then the doors opened on like the second floor and he walked in, we made eye contact and he turned and faced the wall. And <laughs> if, he ever heard, that, if he ever heard the private comments I made about his Instagram, he would murder me in my sleep. I think Gertz's social media manager has heard all of the comments I've made about his <laughs> Instagram. But it's the one thing I will stand, I will stand by it and I will take it to the grave. Like, you, sh- you, sir, should not be involved in motocross in any way, shape or form. Sir. Like, we, we just would like to, to take this up with me in oh, Turkey, man. sir. We need more camper. Well, no, he's in a chamber. Of, uh, he's in a Sunlight and Kempen solo system nowadays. It's all in capitals. So it's very important. I just, don't understand, like, I just don't understand how you think that's a good idea. And I genuinely believe the guy listens to this podcast because he has changed some things that I have brought up. So I genuinely believe he's listening to this right now. So hello, sir. Maybe he's so much smarter than us that this is the way to draw viewers and, get, and create attention. He's like, I'm going to play the reverse game where I'm going to make it so awkward and write the most ridiculous captions 
that everyone will want to come check out exactly what Yago is up to. Dear yeah. God, you're right. That's actually happened. I might like, actually try this on my Instagram. I'll tell you what, that would be quite funny if you could do it right. If you could emulate the captions perfectly and get the photos. If you could do it just right, it would be quite funny. Okay, let's do it. Let's I won't, do it. but... A combination of you and me. I, if, I've, if I'm looking at the people trailing Renault, and there's no combination of you and me in any way, shape, or form in any forms of life. If I look at the um, two riders trailing Renault, I, I don't know how I feel about stamping Guadagnini as a title threat. Still, I'm, I would much rather, if you want me to say like who is going to chase Renault, I'm putting 80% of that onto Gertz and leaving a tiny slice for Guadagnini purely because I, I just don't know. But then it's bizarre because his last four GPs tell such a bizarre, confusing story. You that- think it's just the sand? Is it just maybe being sand races that have caught? Because if you look at, they were Oss and they were Lommel and they were both terrible. Well, maybe it's not even... Well, then Latvia was good, but then maybe it's not even that because Lommel was just a first-turn crash, so maybe it's just happens. Maybe his bad luck is out of the way now. But if you do look at it, Turkey should be really good for him. I just don't... I don't believe that these riders in this class, uh, Renault included, are seasoned, consistent riders that you can just count on week in and week out to make the right decisions, get good starts, not crash. Uh, I think that's the theme of this class is inconsistency. That's why they're they're... Still young, you know, Renault has never been in this situation where he's a, holding the red plate and has all of this pressure. Uh, so I, I look for a lot of wild results down the stretch, which would open the door for anybody. I'll tell you what's going to help that as well. One thing that everyone's forgotten about, Vial is now healthy, and Vial could be the major spoiler in this and basically just stop Renault from maximizing his opportunities every single weekend and helping the others close the gap. There is a high chance that Vial wins a lot coming up, and that's going to only help the riders giving chase, I think. The break, ha- the break has... Uh, that's the one person who's been benefited uh, the most from this, from this break, you know, having sort of four or five weeks to just uh, get itself sorted. Um, it's going to be think, interesting think- to see what he comes back and does. Yeah, I think he will win a lot, but I, I still say if anyone is able to take this title away from Renault besides injury, it would be Geertz. Uh, I, if, if Geertz got hot here and went on a winning streak, he has so much experience winning in this class. He's been winning in this class for three years, you know, off and on. It would not take a lot for him to just establish himself at the front and start battling with Vial and go back to, that was the status quo. It was Vial and it was Geertz. And one of those two was going to win the moto. And if those two got back to that form, the points would change dramatically very quickly. And yeah, you do kind of um, short minds in this sport or uh, recency bias. And if you do look at like coming into the season, there was no talk of, oh, I wonder who's better, Gertz or Renault. Like there was no talk of that. It was stamp it, uh, Gertz, not even a discussion. If he can, if he can, I think he, I've said it all season though. I think he's struggling with, finding the fine line between not crashing and still being fast. I genuinely believe that's why he, I think more so than Nani now, the reason why he's not that good or that's that fast as he was in previous years is because he's trying to walk the tightrope between being balls fast and crashing every single lap. And I think he's struggling to figure out how far he can push without throwing it away. I genuinely think that is a mental battle that he is fighting at the moment. I genuinely, genuinely believe that. But yeah, I guess we'll. I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. It's, it's an, I do genuinely believe the Turkey double header 
is going to answer many questions. And like I say, after that, we'll be on the downward slope to the end of this thing. And then, um, then thing, the dynamic changes, the way you look at the points changes, the way the riders view the situation changes. There's a sense of urgency a little more. That's where mistakes come from. Yeah, I think uh, interesting, interesting. Before we end part one, presented by Fly Racing, I want to take a moment to talk about Fly Racing. Seeing as we have the Fly Racing mogul on the line, uh, we talk about the Formula Helmet so much, obviously, so much, and rightfully so. It's the best helmet on the market. Uh, big investment from the guys at Fly and a lot of work put into making sure it's fit for purpose and the best helmet on the market. I just wanted to, I figured, I feel like so much gets said about the Formula Helmet. I think for European listeners especially, it might be worth going back in time a little bit, uh, JT, just to, like, where did the idea for the Formula Helmet come from? Like, why, why did Fly sit down and go, this is the field we need to go all in on. We need to put X amount of dollars into research, production. We need to go all in on this Formula Helmet. Like, what, what was the reason for that idea being born? Well, I give credit to uh, the engineers at 60 because I believe they were the catalyst for everyone, not, not just us, but every brand to really innovate and recreate and, and rethink what we expected from helmets. And that goes back to 2013, maybe, where our owner, and we are a single owner company, he tasked not only um, you know, the sales department, which I'm a part of, but also the design department, more importantly, and said, hey, uh, we want to create the best helmet the world's ever seen. We, we have seen uh, 60 change what the expectations are. Now it's our job to take what they have done and raise the bar again. And I remember that conversation and we were all looking at each other going, okay, that's great. And that's, you know, sounds amazing, but how do we do that? You know, where do we even start? So that was the first step of really a fact-finding mission. You have to find out what the capabilities are technologically, you know, what breakthroughs have been made material-wise, um, what's out there. And that means going to trade shows, both endemically for, for power sports and outside. And that, was, that led us to a meeting with a gentleman from the UK uh, named Dr. Dan Plant. And we came across, at the time, a material called Armor Gel that he had created for the uh, British paramilitary. And, but he wanted to he wanted to insert that into power sports, whether it's protective equipment, helmets, uh, however, because that was his passion. He was a mountain bike and motocross uh, enthusiast. So that was kind of the aha moment for us and for him was now we had found a material that we felt like could change everything for what helmets were expected to be and how helmets performed. And that was maybe 2015. So you're talking another four to five years of development testing the application process, uh, how do you uh, optimize that material for helmets? Because at the time it was built for ballistics use, you know, bombs, bullets, um, military theater use. So yeah. you have to then take that and, and make sure it's optimized for what we wanted it for. Uh, but it really all started to, to answer your question, it really all started from one simple task was take what we have completely start over and let's build the best helmet that anyone's ever seen. And it just was that simple. And yeah, you know, uh, six or seven years later, we end up with, with the formula helmet and, and it was to be fair and, and completely transparent, honest with you. 
it exceeded my expectations by so far. Um, you know, I, I was just hoping that it wouldn't be a disappointment. And that's your always your fear is just please let it be a success on some level. And it's been so much more than that and so much more than we could have ever dreamed of. Um, it's, it's really been really the kind of shining spot of our brand for a few years now. Finding that material then uh, in the UK, that was, I guess that was a catalyst that made it go from an idea on a whiteboard to, oh, wow, like we can actually do this. Like we, this, is, this is kind of the thing we need to go full steam ahead with this thing. Yeah, and it was that, there was so much luck involved in that process because had it been five years earlier, you know, Dr. Dan Plant would have still been developing it. He would have still been in the, uh, working with the grant that the British government had given him. The timing would not have been right. So there was this perfect kind of serendipity moment where we were searching. He was also searching for a way to apply this material in a space that he was passionate about. And our paths crossed because we were out, we were asking everybody. We were posing the question, what's out there? Have you heard of anything new? What's on the horizon? And that's really how you discover things is you talk to anyone and everyone that has ears and you start asking the question. And then, yeah, dots were kind of connected. And both of us were, I would imagine our design team and he were both looking at each other going, are you the one? Like, is this actually the, the situation I've been looking for? And uh, it just so happened, happened to be. And I, I think it's been a beautiful marriage ever since. And then obviously, um, shortly after the formula was released, there was a formula CC and then now the formula CP. Just explain like the different layers there and why, like, why you felt the need or why Fly felt there was a need for extensions on the formula uh, line, I guess. Well, of, co- of course, the formula is your full carbon version and it's a, a premium piece and it's up against every premium helmet in the market. But for us, using Rion material, which you know, Armor Gel transitioned into Rion, using Rion is a long-term path for us. Uh, you know, we want to, of course, use it in the formula helmets. And we want to use it in other products as well, which you're already starting to see some of those trickle out. And as we increase our presence with Rion, we want to make that material and that protection and technology available for everybody. We don't want to price customers out of the market. Uh, you know, in, in the U.S., the retail on a, a formula carbon helmet is 689 U.S. dollars, which is expensive. It's near the top of the range. And we understand that a lot of customers domestically and internationally, that's it's difficult, if not impossible for some. And that's, that's not our goal. We, we want this to be available to everyone on some level. Uh, so last year, we introduced the Formula CC, which brought the price down significantly, about uh, 33% on a retail level, which opened the door for more consumers. That, w- that was step one. And then for this season, you know, we just launched a month ago, we now have another step down, another 30% price reduction with the CP. And you went from a full carbon to a carbon composite, which you know is only 50 grams heavier. And now we just introduced a polycarbonate version where you're still getting that Rion protection. And we believe you know, globally, that's just going to allow more customers to take advantage of the technology and full stop and full transparency. That's the goal. We want to help protect people. We want to keep people safer regardless of cost. So we are having meetings all the time about how do we introduce this material, which we believe literally keeps people safer. How can we get it into more products? Because at the end, if that keeps people safer, 
great. We are in business to make money. That's, of course, always a factor. But our responsibility as a company, if we are going to build protection pieces, whether it's chest protectors, whatever, especially helmets, there's no larger goal you know, on a, on a macro level, there's no larger goal than keeping people safe. That is your responsibility if you're going to be in this space. Uh, so we want to get Rion, you know, onto as many heads and onto as many bodies as we possibly can. I guess um, I'd imagine like one of the best things about Fly and Fly coming up with new products and pushing boundaries is there's so, like, obviously there's yourself, but there's so many former racers in WPS that there really is no stone unturned. And you guys have the ability to say, this isn't good enough. This isn't good enough. Like, you obviously, as racers, you always search for perfection. And even now, you know what perfection looks like. So that's what you strive for when making something like the Formula Helmet. Yeah, the formula was unique because I did not know or ever hear of a budget restriction. You know, it was chase everything, chase every avenue, uh, experiment with everything, because I want this to be something that our brand and our company on, on a you know, a big picture level can stand behind for a very long time. And I don't think that's always the case, or I, I know it's not the case with most companies. There are budgets and, hey, we need to develop this project within these parameters, and this is what you have to work with, so make it work. The Formula Helmet was not, uh, it was not that situation. It was, here's the checkbook, make it awesome. And we'll talk about the money later. We'll find a way to make this profitable long-term and get our money back. But I want, this was the owner speaking, I want something that is going to absolutely change the world and change how customers and the industry as a whole views this brand. I want it to be the flagship piece that we can put in front of every marketing piece. And this very conversation that we're having right now is testament to that. Because without the Formula Helmet, you just have a, a whole catalog of products that you really are like, okay, this is pretty good. This is pretty good. But we believe the formula is the industry leader. And you always, as a brand, want to have something. You know, if you're asked a question, what, you know, what are you standing behind? What is your brand? How best can it be represented? The, the formula is such an easy answer to that in every conversation. And I would put it up against any helmet in the market, period. It's, actually, story. it's actually like... Um... It's almost amazing to hear you say like what the goals were all those years ago. And like now, sitting here now, at least from outside perspective of myself, it feels like those goals have been met. Like the formula is such an impressive piece of equipment. And like when I was in America, I got a chance to look at it, hold it, spin it around, like properly analyze it. And I just remember being like, geez, like, okay, I've heard a lot about this helmet. It meets every expectation I had. I remember, I genuinely remember it was one of the few products that I had in my hands and I was like, wow, this is, this is something uh, quite special. Yeah, I, I wish you could have been around because this was not something that was insured. The success of this thing, I, I was so nervous about how this project was going to end up. It wasn't like, oh, we've got this covered. Don't even worry about it. It's going to be a huge home run. Um, there were so many questions along the way and can we actually execute what we you know what we're setting out to do and is this material going to be accepted and will will customers understand the technology because when you really dive deep into what rion is and and the viscoelasticity and the science behind it, it it's an active strain rate material which there's a lot of a lot of things happening with rion that most people they can't understand but are they willing to take the time to even try you know, those are, those are questions that 
in the middle of a process where you're spending well over a million dollars just in development, those are tough questions to answer. And you're just hoping that all of this work and all of this investment and time, it was, you know, five years in the making of something is going to be successful. And uh, yeah, like I said, I, it's wildly overperformed my personal expectations and it doesn't always go that way. <laughs> a lot of times product products don't work and they're just not well received. So yeah, this will always be one that, you know, we can look back on and say it, it went the right way. Oh, James. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm interested because uh, obviously the investment is, is kind of generally unheard of, uh, within motor as well. Like the amount which, uh, WPS were, were prepared to put into, into this project, which is, you know, is a testament to the company itself. But now that you found uh, the Rion technology, uh, JT, a, a fly looking to advance this past helmets and into, into other protect, protection? Absolutely, yeah. So we launched the first product, uh, which is like an impact short, we call it. Um, basically a padded short that you would wear underneath your riding pants. And simply because that was an easy one time-wise, right? It was very much plug and play and get into the catalog. But long-term, absolutely. Uh, we want to continue to press on the production space and uh, include more products and introduce new items. But as you know, it, it just takes time. Uh, you need testing and the application processes and you're always battling uh, the weight side, right? If you're adding... These materials, um, are you passing CE level one, level two? There are a lot of questions there. Do you want level two on the front and the back? You know, what is the customer really looking for globally, not only in the USA? Sure. So those are all questions that we've had to address. And there's not always clear answers to those things. But to specifically answer your question, absolutely, we're going down the path of introducing Rion into more products. Because uh, on, on a lot of the uh, roost protectors and chest protection now, you, you use, is it biofoam? So, it, so I, I guess with testing, like you say, because obviously we have CE approval over here and you, you've got to meet that criteria. I, I guess now you've invested uh, within Rion technology, it would, it would make a lot of sense, I guess, to start. And obviously the benefits of, of, of the Rion technology and the, it, you know, with what it's done with helmets and how it can can be incorporated into elbow, knee pads. Like, I, I guess in a way, I, I know I'm not no business guru, but I guess the investment, you're, you're 75% of the way there by finding the right company and finding the right technology. Right, but there's always, uh, you know, anytime you're tooling a new product, there's, there are huge costs to be incurred there uh, in the, the initial phases long before you ever recoup any revenue. Um, and you're always having to, you know, analyze the market and understand, is there a need for this? Is there enough addressable market for this to make sense to even consider going down that path because of the initial, the high initial costs for this piece? Um, but if you really look across the industry and whether it's Liat or Alpine Stars or EVS or, or take your pick of strong protection company, I believe yeah. that that's the customer is really accepting these newer products and the, they're starting to understand levels of CE and reasons to be more protected. I think a lot of that is from innovation too. The, the products are so much more wearable and they're not so restrictive anymore. And companies are finding ways to make them more attractive to riders to wear. Um, you look at riders wearing under chest protectors in the US, even over protectors is is starting to grow here in the USA, uh, just because I believe the pieces are 
they're, they're easier to live with now. And I think you're going to see more and more of that. And it, it's a space that I think is going to continue to grow over the next decade. Yeah, I think there's been a real shift um, over in Europe as well with people understanding, um, you know, protection is is first and foremost what they want. And there's, we've seen a massive uh, influx of recreational riders now, which just enjoy practicing as well as racing. But when you go to local practice tracks, they are head to toe in, in every bit of equipment. So I guess it's not just, uh, you know, obviously you, you, these products are being tested on some of the best riders in the world. But like people like myself and other people are getting the benefits of these products now uh, just at a local practice track. Well, when you think about these steps that the FIM is taking to, uh, for high-level racing, they are forcing riders to wear these pieces, which I, I'm all for, no problem. But I think there is a trickle-down effect of younger riders and impressionable riders when they see their hero wearing pieces of protection. I think that encourages them to also purchase and also just subconsciously think it's okay. Because if you look at America for the last 20 years, no one has really worn anything. I was as guilty as anyone. We weren't even wearing underprotectors a lot of the time. And I think that also influences the customer. They're like, well, if Jeremy McGrath doesn't wear a chest protector, why do I need to wear a chest protector? Which is re- a ridiculous take. That is <laughs> a horrible way to approach your, your individual purchasing decisions and safety. But I think that happens. I think especially for kids and younger, you're, you're establishing consumers, hopefully for the next 20, 30, 40 years of their you know, riding uh, life. If they start out thinking that they don't need that or it's not cool, maybe more importantly, it's not cool to wear that stuff. They may never come back to those production pieces until maybe they're 40 or 50 and they have to go to work on Monday. But yeah. I think if we change the narrative early for a lot of these people, they will wear a chest protector and not think anything of it, which is a win for everybody. It's a win for the entire industry on a, on a commerce level and on a protection level. No, I think it's... Oh, go on, James. No, I was going to say, I just think it's it, first and foremost, it's, it's super important. Uh, um, you know we all want our, our children to be safe in, in, you know, friends and family and stuff like that. So I think I, I, I just hats off to fly for, for always, you know, with the round, you know, investment in round Rihanna technology, just to try and strive and try and make uh, better products, not, not, you know, functional and, you know, form. So it's just nice to see that the investments being made in, in, in like you say, the, the influence from, from riders now, like, we had a training session literally a couple of weeks ago with Adam Sterry, who I believe is a, a fly, uh, yes, yes, a fly rider as well. In the kids, literally hanging on every single word he's saying. So these riders do have a massive effect on on, on children. Yeah, and and bigger picture, uh, of course, we're in business, and of course, there are responsibilities that come with that, but. We are trying to keep people safer. That, that, that is a big goal for us and a big, even more than a goal, it's a responsibility that we feel we have. So every decision has to be made with that in mind. You know, there, there are business responsibilities of those decisions, but it's also, is this going to make the motocross power sports world a safer place to be in? If someone purchases this product, are they going to be safer because of it? And if the answer is no, then we're doing something very, very wrong. And that's a disservice to everyone. Um, so we really try to make sure that you know, we ask that question at all times. Obviously, um, the Formula Helmet is a, 
is a real staple of the fly range, but um, the complete 2022 line came out at the end of July. Gear-wise and goggle-wise and that sort of stuff, just talk about some of your highlights from, um, from the 2022 launch. Yeah, we're really just trying to make subtle steps forward each year. You know, we, we attack different segments typically year to year. And if we make a fundamental change like we did with the light pant, we will make very small changes and kind of let that, uh, that change and that concept play out because you need, uh, on a dealer level and a consumer level, you need to give them time to absorb it and learn about it and then make their purchasing decision without constant change within a space because they can't even keep up. They can't catch up because, you know, most people aren't as plugged in as Lewis and I are. James, I'll, I'll keep you out of that because I know you're in your own world. Uh, but as Thanks, Lewis James and I are, <laughs> um, so you have to almost give them time to absorb a lot of this information. So for us, a lot of times it's just subtle improvements year to year. And hopefully at the end of like, say a five-year cycle, you, you look back and you're like, wow, the entire line from A to Z has taken steps forward. We've improved everything. And sometimes there were fundamental changes. Sometimes it was things that the average consumer may not even know we changed. They may not even realize it. But five years later, they bought the same product in there. And if you actually ask them, okay, put that old one on and put this new one on, and they'd be like, wow, that's not comparable. Those are two completely different pieces now. And, and the, the new one is so much better than, than we really accomplish what we're trying to do. There are, um, there are actually so many questions flood into my head, but I feel like the one people are going to want to know Obviously, at the moment, Fly is linked with a Hitachi KTM fueled by Milwaukee. Yep. Uh, Conrad Muse and Adam Sterry, you are riding the Conrad, the Conrad Muse wave. But you are actively looking to get more uh, MXGP teams, riders in Fly gear and the Formula Helmet um, in the not-so-distant future, right? We are, and, and uh, I think we, uh, we will have news to announce. I don't know when we will be allowed to announce that news, but um, yeah, it's been productive conversations and productive negotiation over the last month or so. And this has been a personal goal of mine for the last two or three years. Um, we took some really big swings at it in 2019. Uh, nothing really came of it. And uh, then 2020 with COVID, we just didn't have really an opportunity to go down that path. And it was also not a great year for it because many of the teams were locked into uh, carryover deals from 2019. So I've been really active the last month or well, I'll say two months of, yeah, who's, who's available? What can we possibly work out? Um, and I think we're there. Uh, you know, the ink's not dry on, on one deal, but uh, verbally we are. And uh, at some point, I think we'll be announcing some really exciting news for us. And we'll, we'll have us much more involved in the series than we've ever been. Well, that does excite me. Actually, I've got to ask this one more question because I think this is interesting to people. Obviously, you are, your um, roots with Fly go much deeper than just your involvement in the company now Like as a racer. Um, can you believe how far Fly has come in the last 20 years? From the first time that you got involved with the gear as an athlete, undoubtedly, I'd say, the progress that Fly has made to now being an industry leader in almost all departments is phenomenal. And again, it's, it goes hand in hand with the Formula Helmet. The work that's been put in to push the Formula Helmet to the insanely good helmet it is, is also going on in the rest of the company where it's accelerated to a point where now Fly is considered one of the best and an industry leader. No, I, I would never have believed 
that it would come this far ever. Uh, my first time wearing fly racing was February of 2003. I had some pieces to test at home before that, but my first race was February of 2003. And, uh, I would say wildly unimpressed was a fair assessment. Uh, but I, I think that was deserved. I just think it was early days for the brand and they really hadn't found direction. Uh, there weren't many resources being really allocated to improvement. Innovation really wasn't even on the, the spectrum. It was just trying to get products out the door. And to look back then and to see where the brand is now, uh, I don't think you could have convinced me that that was possible. Um, you know, and to be a part of it and watch it from the inside out. Um, yeah, it's been something I don't really know that I have the vocabulary to express. Um, a lot of pride, though, uh, watching everybody's hard work kind of get us to where we are. And really, I, I look at some of our inefficiencies, things we can be much better in, in spaces. I see where we're going because we are actively addressing those weaknesses. I think in a few years, it's going to look even much differently than now, uh, just because I see the efforts that are being put in and the, the resources that are allocated to strengthening the places where I, pers I personally perceive us to be weak. I think there are really, really bright days ahead of us. And uh, it, that's exciting, right? To see where we are, but to know where we're going is pretty awesome. I think everyone's a little smarter, thanks to that little segment. And I think... Um... If you've got any questions about the Formula Helmet, um, then you can always message us on Instagram and we will either tell you what we know or we will pass them on to JT and get you an answer. Yeah, so if anything, uh, if any questions you've got haven't been answered there, feel free to get in touch and um, we'll help you get involved as, as a part of the Formula uh, movement. That is part one of the MXY show. Many things discussed in there, but a real um, a good part. I feel good about that part. Part one was presented by, shocker, Fly Racing. Fly Racing has redefined expectations in safety and performance with the Formula Helmet, which you just learned a lot about. Tested on the most advanced equipment in the world, the Formula Helmet's overall performance is best in class in both high-velocity crashes as well as rotational and low-speed impacts. Featuring Rion technology, conehead EPS, and a 12K carbon shell, the Formula's Advanced Impact System, AIS, introduced a new approach to both protection and weight reduction. Weighing only 1290 grams, we believe the formula to be the perfect combination of industry-leading innovation and ultra-lightweight design. Simply put, the formula helmet has changed the game. And of course, we would like to thank Fly Racing, Liat, Planet Motor Holidays, Prox Racing Parts, Technical Touch, KYB, Even Strokes, MXGP TV, Backyard Design UK, Asterix Knee Braces, Armour Nutrition, and Blenzel Oils. A quick five-minute break. We'll be back, and straight after the break, we will be playing... Armour you smarter than a birth, and I can hardly wait. So don't go anywhere. <laughs> we'll be back. You are listening to the MX Vice Show. Known for producing the world's most effective neck braces, Liat continues to evolve and can now protect riders from head to toe. No matter whether it is their new for 2021 4.5 boot, which offers advanced technology at a mid-range price point, or the all-new 7.5 helmet that comes with free Liat bulletproof velocity goggles, Liat has you covered. Shop Liat's extensive line of off-road gear on www.liat.com. Prox Racing Parts supply genuine replacement products which meet or even exceed OEM quality. All parts are manufactured to highest quality standard at state-of-the-art manufacturing facilities around the world. Hence why everything that Prox Racing Parts offer exceeds the high-level requirements that all motocross riders require. Many of Prox's parts are actually made by the same suppliers to the OEMs. 
Head to pro-x.com now to learn more. Evenstrokes is the newest e-commerce store in motocross. Built by motocross enthusiasts, Evenstrokes understands your need and offers all of the products you need for a weekend at the track. Shop now for Yoko, Alpine Stars, Fast House, and more at evenstrokes.com. Liat, protecting riders from head to toe. Check out liat.com for more. Fly Racing has redefined expectations in safety and performance with the Formula Helmet. Tested on the most advanced equipment in the world, the Formula Helmet's overall performance is best in class in both high-velocity crashes as well as rotational and low-speed impacts. Featuring rayon technology, conehead EPS, and a 12K carbon shell, the Formula's Advanced Impact System, AIS, introduced a new approach to both protection and weight reduction. Weighing only 1,290 grams, we believe the formula to be the perfect combination of industry-leading innovation and ultra-lightweight design. Simply put, the Formula Helmet has changed the game. The MX Vice Show. Welcome back to episode 82 of the MX Vice Show podcast. James Burfield, Jason Thomas, and myself, Lewis Phillips. On the line, breaking down everything heading into Turkey, and a real treat coming up. Just a shining moment in the show. It really, I just... A real treat coming up. As always, we'd like to thank Fly Racing, Liat, Planet Motor Holidays, Prox Racing Parts, Technical Touch, KYB, Even Strokes, MXGP TV, Backyard Design UK, Asterix Knee Braces, Armour Nutrition, and Blenzel Oils. Uh, this is part two of the MX5 show, and uh, regular listeners will know that part two is presented by our friends at Technical Touch. With an air oil separated closed cartridge design that is well known in the MX world, the KYB factory kit suspension from our friends at Technical Touch was perfected on one of the toughest tracks in the MXGP series. That being Lommel, and actually I've got something to say about Lommel here short. You too can experience the best in suspension, like Jeremy Sewer and Ben Watson, and close to home too. Visit technical-touch.com slash KYB-authorized, with a Z, hyphen dealer, to find an authorized KYB by Technical Touch dealer in your country. Take your ride to the next level. And as mentioned many times, any country, any bike, whatever you need, that link is the one you need to follow and you'll get yourself some kit suspension. So um, yeah, why wouldn't you want to do that? I don't know why. So <laughs> is everyone ready for... I am so ready. <laughs> <laughs> I usually say born ready, but definitely not this time. <laughs> the thing is, I think I might have, I, I regret because, so I was really debating whether to do this. And now I regret making the questions so easy. I wish I'd gone a little bit harder. Yeah, but you're easy. This is what you don't understand. Like, apart from, I spoke to two people last week, and they said they both said, uh, I, w- I, don't, I didn't have a clue of any of those questions. Like, you are not on your own. Well, if you're that person, I'm disappointed in you. <laughs> um, and I hope you're learning every week. Right. They are pretty challenging. They, are they? Thank you, JT. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, but pretty challenging is still like that's not challenging. That's pretty challenge. Like that's not like they could be challenging. That's a much more harder answer than pretty challenging. So like pretty challenging in my book. It's a okay. Speaking of a okay, this is Armor. You smart oven above. What the hell is that? It's a game show music. Armour is an action and adventure lifestyle driven brand founded by action sports industry veterans. Armour recognized a void in the marketplace and created a complete line of nutritional supplements formulated especially to help athletes and enthusiasts of all levels realize their maximum potential. Armour's products were developed and tested in real world conditions by an all star team of athlete owners that include Jeremy McGrath, Chad Reed, and Nick Way. Armour Sport 
is now available in Europe too. I I don't right. I don't think we we agreed on that music. I've used it before. Anyway, this is Armour You Smarter Than a Birth. And uh, for new listeners, James Burfield, as you may have guessed, knows absolutely nothing about the sport. MXGP? Nope. America? Nope. Uh, Britain? Nope. He knows absolutely nothing. Nothing, I tell you. So we put his knowledge to the test, even though we know the answer before we get into this mess, just to see how much he does know. James, player one. How you doing? (laughs) Good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, obviously (laughs) we are graced with the presence of the one and only Jason Thomas this week a rider who touched many hearts around the world in his career and along the way in that journey I'd imagine it'd touch your heart so we are going to test your Jason Thomas knowledge on Armour You Smarter Than a Birth there is one MXGP question in here at the end just to balance it out Ready, James? Uh, yeah. Uh, what <laughs> I want to say is 66 hours to say. If you love mediocrity, you are a big fan of mine. I'll just talk with that. I really, I'm, I'm excited slash nervous, but let's jump in. Let's okay. jump in. Okay. Question one. Yeah. JT's nickname, known worldwide, <laughs> what was JT blank? Fill in that blank. I, is it multiple choice? Do I get multiple choices? No. <laughs> I don't even know what I'd multiple choice for you. JT's nickname, known worldwide, was JT blank. Fill in that blank. And it's not blank, just in case you figure. Because <laughs> sometimes you do get confused <laughs> and think that that is actually... <laughs> well, I think you're giving me a... Like, a, 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 like help me with a question. If you don't know this one, we're in for a long time. Well, this is, a, this is why this is question one. Because I was like, everyone knows JT blank. <laughs> we're gonna need an answer james we're gonna have to push you we're all, we're all busy uh, i'm genuinely curious as what you come up with now yes yeah, that's why i'm not giving him the answer yet because i want something <laughs> <laughs> oh my god um uh if you don't know then throw a compliment out there or something just <laughs> uh, okay i'm gonna go with uh i'm gonna go with um Damn. I'm going to go with yeah. Rottweiler. <laughs> you got it. That's it. Get you Rottweiler. Yes! The best part about that is you've clearly put thought into that. Like, that's not a random thing. That's a, in your head, you've actually gone, you know what? This has a ring to it. Yeah, well, I know JT was, uh, JT, you know, it's a very determined competitor. I, I can imagine I really, that it, people call him the Rottweiler. I really want this to catch on now. <laughs> okay. Um, actually, JT, reveal the answer. JT money. Ring any bells? <laughs> ring any bells, James? Yeah, it rings a few. Okay, that's good. Question two. Maybe it's just that, maybe it's not the fact that I don't know anything. It's just that I can't remember anything. Question two. Please don't speak. Those are the same thing. Two. <laughs> that making me feel any better. Right, I, I, good, I feel good about this one. Oh. When, G, when JT raced in his last season as a professional, what manufacturer was he on? I know there was a... a When JT raced in his last season as a professional, what manufacturer was he on? Okay, I'm going to go Suzuki. Well done, James. Um, I'm not sure why it took you so long to get there, considering you'd already said Suzuki multiple times. Yeah. 
I, know I figured that, that was a. I figured that was an automatic straight in there. Yeah, well, I remember that, and then there was a Honda, and I believe there was a Husqvarna at some point. Is that correct? Yeah. That's impressive. That's, yeah. uh, you know what? Well, but the Husky had a lot of problems, I think. Yes. To say this, that. Is, this is impressive. Yeah. Well, like I said, I know a little bit. Okay. That's it, though. Oh, okay. If, Brilliant. if, if his questions are in there, then I'm fucked. <laughs> JT finished in fifth overall at Bud's Creek in 2006. Who won the outdoor title that year? In 2006. 2006. Oof. What, I was, MX2 I mean, or, 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 sorry, 250 or 450? Well, like 450, but it was 250 at that time. Like, very mixed. Premier class. Because that, that, that was the year that... No, that was the year after Villapote had done... Uh... 2007 Nations. I don't know how the Nations factors into that, but whatever you, whatever floats your boat. <laughs> uh, I am thinking... So this was... Oh, two, so 252 stroke. Yeah, premier class. Number one big boy class. Big bike class. 450 class now. There were pretty much weapon. zero 252 strokes still in this class at that point. I there don't you go, know 450 class. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go... I'm going to go for the obvious, but I know it's going to be wrong. Carmichael. That's correct, James. Yeah. Yes! Obvious is usually right. Yes. That question was originally, where did JT finish at Bud's Creek in 2006? But I reworded it because I felt like that was just, we were going to get ourselves That's in a right hole. Yeah. That, that oh, yeah. was his best outdoor um, result. That was? That's correct. 6-8 on a day, or 8-6, one of those. In 2006, question four, you're two for one so far in a, this, in a this, shocking turn of events. This is unheard of. <laughs> I like these questions. In, in, I told you they were easy. Suzuki. In 2006, JT finished second at blank Supercross in the UK. Name that Supercross. Oh, piss. Um, uh, JT gonna... Rottweiler finished second at <laughs> JT Rottweiler. Yeah. I can see the headlines I just love how you put four. I, like, yeah. I just love how you put real thought into it. J- JT puts the bite back into UK Supercross. I like it. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go with, um, how is this hard? Wow. Like if, if, if someone said to me, Supercross in the UK, there's one event I think of. Like that's why I've put on for this event. It's a flagship. It was for flagship UK Supercross. Wow. Well, it wasn't that flagship, was it? Cause, <laughs> uh, okay. I'm going to go, uh, Sheffield. Oh my God. You got it right. Oh my fucking God. <laughs> this is unbelievable. I've won um, the fucking game. Uh, no, you haven't. Actually, have I not? no. Remember, um, five questions, six points on the table because the last question's double points, and you need four points to win. So you're on. You, it's all riding on the last question. Oh my uh, god! What and a moment. Fun fact: 2006 Sheffield Supercross. Um, Max Anstey won the Big Wheel 85 class. Just funny little wow. collision of worlds there. Wow. Tip, yeah. tip of the hat to Max. By the way, uh, no Anstey in America podcast last week because Max got COVID and. Basically ended the Anstey in America <laughs> podcast last week. Did, did, so, did you not tell him to take two paracetamols? He, um, no, I was on the phone to him that morning. He was like, oh, I feel really ill. I don't know if I'm up for talking. And I was like, yeah, it'll be fine. No, you'd have to talk that. And then he went and got a test and was like, oh, I've got COVID. And I was like, okay, we won't do it then. Um, anyway, back into MXGP now. Right. It all rides on this oh, question. Pressure. Yeah, pressure. It, like, I can't even remember. I think you've only won this once in your life. I don't think I have. Um, no, I think you did once, because remember there was that one time where I did such easy questions, and then we agreed that such easy questions were very boring. Because it was like, well, basically as easy as these questions have been, JT Wattweiler. Anyway, <laughs> question five. 
Eight. Oh, if only I remember JT okay. won the game. Yep. Eight. British riders have stood on the MX2 overall podium since 2004. Eight. Only eight. Quite a small number. Name all eight of them. Oh, God. Uh, it's really easy. Like, right. if you saw... I've all got right. a list in front of me. All right. Ben Watson. Tommy JT Searle. Rottweiler is not one of them. <laughs> You're doing that now to distract me, because that's all I can think of. Okay, you said Ben Watson, correct. Tommy Searle, correct. Tommy Searle. Sean Simpson. Correct, that's three. Jake Nichols. Four. Um, Billy McKenzie. That's five. How many have I got to get? Three more. Oh, shit. Um, Max Sesley. That's six. Uh, Oh, God. Um... Since 2000, 2006 or 2004? What? Did you say since, since 2004? 2004. Since 2004. Okay. Uh, MX2. MX2. MX2 was introduced in 2004 MX2. once Ustream got involved. Steven Sword. Correct. Oh, my God. A seven. One more. Oh. I feel um, for you. No. Okay, we're also getting bored now, so if you just... <laughs> okay, it's just tr- trying to think. Some, some of us over here are trying to think. Do you want a massive clue? Uh, would that be cheating? Or do, you feel like that will, do you feel like that would cheapen your win? That would cheapen my win. Let me think about this. Um, was Carl Nunn what? still riding back then? Well, that's a clue if I answer that question, surely. <laughs> 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 you just told me you don't want clues, but then want me to answer your questions. <laughs> uh, we are going to need an answer. Daylight is okay. fading. Um, I'm going to get Carl Nunn. It's not Carl Nunn, is it? <laughs> Very impressed, James. You've won the game. <laughs> oh, my fucking God. That's it. Stop the show. I need to go out and celebrate with my family. It really, I'm really annoyed that you won because you winning has kind of distracted us all from the JT Rottweiler. Oh, what a moment. This feels so good. But also there was the JT Rottweiler <laughs> coming. So yeah, you were off to a rough start. <laughs> yeah, it was not good, was it? Yeah. Damn. I really hope JT Rottweiler stink, stinks. Stinks. Stink. What? Sticks. It definitely right? stinks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, a butt patch is in the post, JT. <laughs> I just love out of interest. What other ones did you? What other options are in your head at that you point? You might even get a logo designed. Um, what, what other options? You landed on JT Rottweiler. There had to be some really, really special ones in there. If that's where you landed. Uh, no, I, I, I thought maybe I was, you were going to think something like JT Magnificent, like he was into magic in his spare time. <laughs> JT the magician. JT uh, used car salesman. Yeah. <laughs> I, I ruled out Rion. Um, <laughs> JT Formula Helmet, yeah, 2005. Thomas, (laughs) just before his time. Um, Uh, Yeah, though, it it was literally Rottweiler shit or bust. So, um, yeah. Do you feel like you've learned something now that you know? Like, next time you see JT at a GP, you can be like, oh, JT Money. Ah, Here's the money guy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm all over it, yeah. Okay, we'll swiftly swiftly move on from that before it becomes more of a train wreck. (laughs) I usually just call him Mr. Thomas. That's very very polite of you. How British of you. Right, moving on. Oh, wow, what a day. I'm not sure how to feel about that. That whole segment just felt a bit messy. Where do we go now? 
I'll tell you where. Uh, we go into the fans' questions. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, we're going to do that. As always, uh, we asked you, the fans, to send in questions via Twitter and Instagram. And as always, you, the fans, uh, delivered. I left quite a few out this week. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure what's, going, what's in the water this week, but the fans had really, um, I don't know, just stretched their creativity with the old uh, questions this week. But this is the Liat Ask Vice Anything segment. Liat, protecting riders from head to toe. Check out liat.com for more. Known for producing the world's most effective neck braces, Liat continues to evolve and can now protect riders from head to toe. No matter whether it is their new for 2021 4.5 boot, which offers advanced technology at a mid-range price point, or the all-new 7.5 helmet with 360 turbine technology and free bulletproof velocity goggles, Liat has you covered. Shop Liat's extensive line of off-road gear on liat.com. And uh, yeah, big things coming from Liat in less than 24 hours, but I can't talk about it right now because it's still embargoed. So next week we'll have more. Yep, next week. Next week the show will be a bit skewed because I'm in Turkey and the races are different, but next week's show. Right. We pulled questions. Uh, a lot of like, I'm not sure. I feel like the GL thing has sparred like a, spurred like a bizarre lot of vaccination questions because lots of those, those got binned because... You don't like talk about politics, do you, Lewis? Well, no, like, I'm sorry, people. I don't know the vaccination status of every MXGP rider. Like, I'm sorry. I, I'll work on that this weekend. I'll go around with a clipboard and take everyone's medical data and tick them off. Watch out. Like, oh, so-and-so doesn't have the COVID vaccination, but he does have a flu jab. And oh, he's not protected against COVID, but is protected against the measles. Like, uh, no. No. Anyway. Question one. Actually, I don't know why I said question one. This isn't a game. <laughs> At, <laughs> <Hey>. At <laughs> official Joseph K on Instagram said, uh, why is it VIP only tickets for the Motocross of Nations? And to that, Joseph, I tell you it's not. Tickets for the nations of all shapes and sizes went on sale two weeks ago now. Yeah, so I haven't got much else to tell you other than tickets are on sale. Event is full steam ahead. Yeah, get, you can get your tickets now. Uh, I believe they're working at 50% capacity, which at Mantova will look full anyway, so it's not that big of, a, big of an issue. At Arch Cough Tray, at Ooh. Arch Cough Tray, I'm not sure where the break in that, uh, at Arch Cough Tray, uh, Team GB for the MXON. Yeah, uh, I don't know why it's not been announced. No one's replying my messages. Uh, I don't know, basically. I thought I know what the team is. I don't know why it's not been announced. What is I, the team? I, I think, well, this was two weeks ago, and I feel like something might have changed considering that nothing's happened. But last I heard, it was going to be Watson, Conrad, Simpson. That's the last I got told. But obviously, there is like an interchangeable thing there where Sterry could ride a 250 if needed. So maybe that's changed. I don't know. At JDog underscore 0625. Is there going to be a Team USA for the MXON? If so, when will they announce it? Uh, JT, you can uh, share your Team USA knowledge uh, with us if you like. Team has not been announced. Uh, I think tomorrow is going to be the deciding factor. And it all comes down to what, how does each individual country handle these new restrictions for COVID uh, that the EU just released on August, 20, or August 30th. So I think it's... Uh, it's looking worse by the day. Um, I don't believe that Italy is going to have restrictions that would keep us out, but that doesn't always mean that Team USA won't just throw in the towel anyway. Uh, so yeah, it's a bummer. Yeah, that's what um, that's kind of where I'm at. Like the EU have officially said now that they recommend they don't have any power, but they recommend that all EU countries don't allow American visitors in unvaccinated. 
that's their recommendation. But no country is actually legally bound to follow that recommendation. It's literally guidelines. So I don't think Italy I, does. I, I don't think Italy goes down that path at all. But that may not matter. I um I read last night that Italy is making a decision today on what they're going to do about Americans. Okay. I don't know where the hell Italy announces that. I presume it'll be all over Google. But yeah, I read last night that Italy's going to make a formal decision today. But my, I guess you kind of alluded to it there, but my worry is that even if, even if Italy come out today or tomorrow and say, uh, yeah, we're not, we're happy to take Americans in for now. Happy days. Come on in. Enjoy yourselves. Then I presume that along with that, they'll say this decision will be reviewed every three weeks, every two weeks, every whatever. And I'm worried that that will scare Team USA off because they'll be like, yeah, it's fine for now, but the week before the event, they've got another review date and that might, that could, um, change things on it, turn things on its head. And then we're too scared of that. Like that's my, I think that fear could be the thing that scares them off. Good. And it could also be just be the excuse that some people could be looking forward to not go. I um thoughts on what a, te- what a motocross of nations without a team USA will be like. Uh, shit. Okay. I won't go that far, but down Yeah. <laughs> It's, That's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 going to be even worse than a GP because half the GP riders are not, not going to ride anyway. It will still feel a little special. Like it'll still have, there'll be still there will still be something in the air where it'll be like, oh, this is. But it's going to be a weird one because if if Team USA don't go, which by virtue Sexton doesn't go, like HRC are going to have no representation at the nations at all, and then like that in itself is weird because the paddock will lose a giant in a sense, where HRC and stuff would have sat. I have a theory. Oh, God. Oh, no. Oh, no. Brace yourself. This could go anywhere. Yeah. JT Rottweiler? J- Is that yeah. a No, I, I, I'm, I'm guessing that uh, the, the Wuhan uh, laboratory oh, no. Oh, no. created oh, no. this virus Did you say for Wu-Tang? China to win Mercross Nations. Because there's going to be no teams left by the time we get to the Nations, apart from like China, Greece, and Israel. I think, so, Puerto Rico is gonna, I think Puerto Rico is going to have a really strong team. They haven't announced who it will be yet, but I, I have a feeling it's going to be pretty talented. Wow. Yeah, I've heard, um, I've heard that they are full steam ahead and they've been talking to riders. And yeah, if this is the thing, the Nate, like, if you look at it, the nations now this year, okay, to whether Team USA, say Team USA is there, uh, Netherlands, Team USA, uh, GB, France, Italy, they are going to be your top five no matter what. Those are the five strongest on paper, even with all of the people pulling out, stuff like that. Then after that, uh, Denmark, Canada, Puerto Rico, um, Sweden, countries like that, this is a golden opportunity for them to get their best result ever. Outside, like, there's going to be a real separation between, there's going to be, well, if Team USA aren't there, we may as well give the Netherlands a trophy now. Okay, don't worry about Estonia. Was is Leox still doing? Uh, It'll Leox come back. Doing? It'll come back for it. They got a chance. But he's still of winning riding. Now. They got. He still, was going to. Yeah, they got a chance of winning now. Yeah, Leox. I'll tell you what. Vinculus. I'll tell you what. Actually, I need. I want to get JT's take on this. Not yours, James. So. Okay. You sure? Yeah, I've said on this. I've said on this podcast a few times now. It really pisses me off how people are. People jump on the fact that oh yeah, Team USA are just a fifth place team now. When in reality, okay, 2018 bad year. 2017, bad year. But 2019, you can make a case they were the fastest team. And if they weren't the fastest, they were second to the Netherlands. Uh, 2016, could have, should have won. Definitely top, top team. 
2015 could have, should have won. They were only, they only lost purely through the fact that France were near France perfect. France was better. Yeah, yeah, France yeah. was better. But on, in any normal nations, that score would have been good enough to win. So that's put it down to bad luck or what just the way that they performed as a team points wise was phenomenal. Uh, 2014, eh, yeah, okay, a bit wishy-washy, but like Tomac was very fast at points. J-Mott's injury, obviously. I thought, we had a, I thought we had a pretty strong team in 2014, but yeah, not, they didn't perform well other than Tomac, but the team was, I thought was fine. I thought they were very capable. In reality, for the last every year since, every year that they've lost bar 2017 and 2018, Team USA could have walked away with a win quite realistically. But I feel like people have almost taken the losses as an indication that, oh, they're not even contenders anymore. Like, do you get that sense in America that people are, called, people are almost like, people almost feel like the win is just a stretch too far now, when in reality it's actually been right there for years now? I think some do. Like Steve Mathis, I believe, thinks that we're pretty far away from winning. But I don't. Um, I just think the, the perception that America was the favorite every year is gone. But... I mean, there, there were several years in there where we could have won. Uh, you know, if you take the rain out of the equation at Assen, there's a chance. There was absolutely a chance. I think Justin Cooper might have been the best MX2 rider on that day. Um, I think Zacho had a horrible day. But we could have been in the running uh, for that day as well on a normal track. I mean, that track was anything but normal, both the sand yeah. and the rain and everything. Um, I just think it's going to take the circumstances to go our way. It's not going to be any foregone conclusion that the USA should or can win. But I, I will tell you also that if the rumors are true and if Motocross of Nations comes back to Redbud for 2022, which I think is likely, um, I, I do believe that's going to happen. I think you're going to see America bring their best team. And if the weather works out, I think they have a really strong chance. I, I think you're going to get the best of America's team next year. I really believe that. My... um. My biggest fear in life, outside of my job and everything, like my biggest fear in life as a whole, the greatest concern in my life is that one day Team USA just pull the plug for a, for a year or two. Like, okay, this year, whatever's going to happen will happen. It's all COVID related. Like, it's, a, it's in a box. But my biggest fear is that one day Team USA just goes, eh, we're going to sit out for the next two years and regather our thoughts. Like, uh, DaCosta told me after Assen that it cost the team, what did he say? I want to, it was six figures. I want to say 100? I think he said it cost in total like 100 or something for the whole team to go there. And every, all the resources and everything. And he was like, well, maybe it's not worth the money anymore. And I, my biggest fear is that one day, Team USA go, eh, yeah, eh, enjoy your nations. We're sitting out this year. Do you ever see that happening? Can I sleep at night? I don't believe so because I think if you go back to 2018 and you saw how many people came to Redbud and the exuberance and enthusiasm there is still a, a big uh, thirst and appetite for motocross of nations. Just because we haven't won in a long time, I think the biggest variable there is rider participation. As long as we can convince riders both scheduling and have that, uh, whether it's patriotism or just competitiveness, as long as we get the right riders to go, I don't think you're going to run into that problem. The only challenge would be if you run into years like 2017, where virtually everyone was like, ah, I don't really want to go. I just don't, I don't want to be here. And you get secondary teams, you know, get these choices that like, wow, I didn't expect that to be the team. That's where you, I think you start to run into trouble. But as long as you're getting 
a Tomac or an Osborne or, you know, like Justin, the, the best riders we have to offer sign up. Absolutely. I do not believe that as healthy as power sports is in America and the money that I'm seeing in every direction right now, I can't imagine that the ask for resources would be too much. I just do not believe that's, that's really possible right now. My take on it is one win, no matter how it comes, where it comes, one win kind of flips it, flips the situation on its head and suddenly every rider is excited by it again. If, like the industry is excited by it again and that just changes a perception. Like, agree? Yes, but it's also been the schedule. It's, it's been, uh, I, I think the fans are still all in. I, I, gosh, 20, were you, you were a Redbud, right? In 2018? Yeah. I mean, it was overwhelming how many people were there. And I think that's, that will be the case again next year if it's in America. But I think the scheduling has created such a conflict for riders. That's been the biggest challenge is getting America's best riders on board. If, if we can find a solution for that where both the teams, because we know some of the teams don't want to go anymore without naming names. Uh, Monster Energy Kawasaki is the easy one. They don't want to do this event anymore. If we can find a solution for that where we get our best riders like the Netherlands, they're getting their best riders, right? If we can have that side of it, the fans will follow. The enthusiasm will follow because then we're putting our best best foot forward. We haven't been doing that. We've been taking secondary options and a team that from the outside, you're looking at it going, yeah, we're not going to win. We're not even going to be close to winning. Uh, that It's hard to get excited about that. Even for me, it's you go in expecting disappointment because you're not even giving yourself your best chance to win. I bleed red, white, and blue. So I just I hope to see Team USA on top again as soon as possible. You, you really. know that's the colors of the United Kingdom as well, don't you? I couldn't care less. I only see stars and stripes forever. Okay. Um, so I was going to say, actually, that uh, another one of um, uh, JT's nicknames could have been Mr. Angry because the last few nations are absolutely fuming in the media center. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I don't think the last it's few. Past. That's past. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I'm going, Maybe it's about 15, 16 then, but I think at one point Math has said, oh, yeah, 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 just, yeah. just give him a wide berth. <laughs> well, my expectations have declined so far, and I, that's where I am. I'm just expecting to have my heart broken now, so it doesn't hurt nearly as badly. I love it though, because I, I love the passion. I, I, I can't help but, you know, I try and be professional all the way through MXGP season, not, not have favorites and stuff like that. Well, you don't go anymore. So. And then uh, you get to the nations, and I, I just can't help it. Just, just can't help it. I genuinely, I genuinely cheer for Team USA more than I do GB. Sorry. Yeah, Sorry, people. You are just a weirdo from Brighton, so. Okay. At bar 411 underscore. Uh, Lewis, if you're a team manager, uh, Kevin Strybos in Latvia told me that I should be a team manager or riding coach. Never forget that. I won't. Lewis, if you're a team manager, would you try and get Ty Masterpool over to GPs? Uh, yeah, we talked about this. Um, he is like probably number one candidate. And I feel like James actually said it. Dixon would be like, oh, I feel like that would be a match made in heaven almost because Dixon's just the type of guy to take a guy like that, mold him, and well, look at what he did for Osborne. So, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There yeah. were rumors. I swear there were rumors, but now I'm starting to f- wonder if I've just imagined this. I swear last off season there were rumors that GP teams were talking to Mumford. Yeah, that, that seemed to, to be a thing. Did you ever hear that, JT? I didn't, but it would make sense. I don't know why they wouldn't have been. Yeah, like he's another. I, I, if he came out, like, I feel like Mumford is enough of a name from what he did in amateurs and stuff and just being a part of the Geico program, like, that gives your name some weight. I feel like if he came over to GPs, I feel like that would be enough of a story to get like a lot of American attention and stuff like that. Like, I would actually love to see that. Uh, 
at wizard 78 sus for a foreign gp to travel to next year which one would you recommend um uh if it depends what you want if you want motocross at its finest and a great atmosphere and like all of that stuff you can't go wrong with france to chantal those sort of races normal but then it's not really exotic if you want something more relaxed like turkey is very nice Oh, and Jesus. It's funny because you've you just got to, to shop him more and a nice hotel of a swimming pool. But I've told, pe- I've told people this many times. If you're looking for a... If you turn up in Turkey as a British, Belgian, French... I guess this guy's British. Um, maybe not, actually. But either way, no matter wh- where you're from, if you turn up in Turkey, the riders respect that. And because there's no, one, no other fans, they give you more time. They're, they're more relaxed. Like, it's a much more hangout vibe. So, like, they're much more, like, open to having a chat with you. Oh, why, why have you decided to come here? Whereas in France, you are one of thousands and you just get lost in the crowd. As a fan, I think that carries a lot of um, weight. Uh, James, number one GP that you'd recommend people visit? Trentino. Uh, have a bit of holiday. If you've got a, a wife or a boyfriend, take him to uh, Lake Garda. Fantastic. Uh, good wine, uh, nice food. And then uh, you just trot along to the uh, mountains, watch a bit of motocross, and then back uh, to the evening down to Lake Garda. It's lovely. Uh, JT, well, actually, JT, what's one GP you haven't been to yet that you're quite keen to go to? Trentino, I'm going this year. Oh, you, if it turns into a double or triple header, will you do all of them? Well, I'm going to Portugal the weekend before, so I don't see why not. Might as well stay. Oh. Oh, okay. That's, well, yes, I'll my, after, three weeks off of my life, JT. This sounds like, um, that sounds like JT's next appearance on the MX5 show is penciled in. At rhyme, dude, uh, did Honda SR and Nathan Watson split? You don't hear anything about it. In 2011, Larry Brooks went on family time and was never seen again. Nathan Watson is on family time. That's <laughs> basically, that's basically the situation. That's basically the situation. Don't expect to see Nathan at oh. a GP anytime soon. He's on family time. Oh, wow. He might have found Larry Brooks. Well, I mean... Larry Brooks is back in the paddock now, but maybe Larry Brooks recommended a retreat or something for him to go to. It's <laughs> at well, <laughs> I'm, I'm, come back, Nathan. We like you. Yeah, I don't know what the situation. I don't know if he he's not coming back to Honda SR. I don't think, but I don't know if he can go to an. I don't know what the situation is there. Oh. I, don't, I guess he. I guess for next time we'll see Nathan is in the beach races. I guess at Thomas. Underscore SB93. Watching Hurling's Red Bull series on YouTube is Ruben the most motivated guy there is. Um, James. So Ruben is the the trainer, isn't he? Um, A man friend, basically. Is that the guy we see pacing around the the? uh, uh, I don't know because you keep using we and there is no we. I don't like there. I don't like. I don't know what we means. Well, you and me. Well, I don't like. Ever, I haven't seen you at a GP since round two. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, I don't like traveling at the moment. It's too much hassle. Ruben is, Ruben is Everett's wife's brother and also Hurling's Manfred. And he is all in on like, anything Hurling's needs. Anything, like, he is very um, is, involved. Is that the guy with the slip back hair? No. That's, I don't know it. what I never. That guy talks to me a lot, and I still don't know who he is or what he does. <laughs> I thought that was Ruben. <laughs> it's past. It's past the point now where it's too late for me to ask as is well. He, he seems a Ruben. He seems to know who I am because he always talks to me and like tells me if oh Hurlings is dealing with this, but I don't. I don't know who he is. Ah oh, damn. No, I don't know who Ruben is then. 
Okay, at JCM42424, can you guys comment on the rumor that Prado is unhappy with the KTM team and is seriously considering coming to America when his deal is up after next season? Also, him and Crowley switched to Gas Gas with Hurlings and Vial being the only two Red Bull KTM riders in the series. I know the answer to this, but JT, you've never heard any rumblings of Prado going to America next year, no? I think that died when he decided to sign his latest KTM deal. I think it was possible at one point, but that's been a couple of years now since that's been dead. Yeah. I, um, I hear that Prado's agent has spoken to American teams, but not with the idea of let's ride in America next year, more as a bargaining chip so that he has a guideline of this is how much Prado's worth in America to give to people. Yeah, that's, that, is, that is where, that is as far as the, the America talks have never been an idea of let's go to America. That is where I've heard that there has been some American involvement in this situation. But as I said, Rumor is now that I will rumor report. I believe that he will end up staying at Ducali and all of this would have been for nothing. The heavy rumor is Ducali will be on Gas Gas. We'll see. Heavy rumor. Hurlings and VR won't be the only Red Bull KTM riders in the series, no matter what, because Rene Hoffer is under contract. So, and he's Austrian. So I highly doubt KTM will ever want him to leave Red Bull KTM. He's there for life. He's a lifer. I was thinking about Hoffer the other day, actually, because remember... Okay, I'm not even going to finish that comment. <laughs> At Kevin underscore Wonders 45 from the Czech Republic, I think. I think. Big fan. I like Kevin. Do you think Alden Baker's program... I haven't actually read this question through. Do you, think Alden ba- Do you think Alden Baker's program is too much for the riders? It works for most of them for a few years, but seems like it takes the fun out of riding a motorcycle for m- most of them. JT, I guess you're most qualified. Uh, what's your thoughts on Baker's program? Obviously, a lot of success, but with that is always going to come some sort of microscope and people ju- like leaping to any criticism they can. Yeah, I think it is really difficult. And I think there is an expiration date for most riders. And that's why you see them either retire or leave the program at some point. But the trade-off is lots of success in that short amount of time. So are you willing to sacrifice all of your free time and suffer more than most other programs are going to put you through? Because if you are, it's almost indisputable that your results are going to be much stronger than they were before or after. Um, and that's, that's a unique decision everybody has to make. So to answer his question, yes, I think it's too tough to s- sustain for an incredibly long amount of time. But I think on paper, if you want your best chance for success, that's where you have to be. I'm guessing um, if you were given a choice, say uh, you retire three years earlier, but in the span of your career, you're on this intense program every day, blah, 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 blah. And with it comes X amount of success. Like every rider's taking that trade off, aren't they? I don't know that ever, all of them, because you see Roxon and Cincerillo and some of these guys leave. Um, but I, I think it's the smart decision. I think if you want to have the most success, make the most money, and leave the best legacy, that's where you should be. Uh, I got a question actually on the on the back of that, JT. Uh, okay, question from at James Burfield. From a, a brand's point of view, when you're looking at a rider and he's involved with the Baker program, does that make him? Uh, is that more adv- advantageous to that brand, knowing that he's on a good program? For me personally, I believe so. You just, but just from history, you know, you look at history and you look at what that program has done for riders and it doesn't seem to matter whether it's Webb or Osborne or whoever, there are much 
uh, there are many more success stories than those that didn't work out. It just seems to pan out for those who end up there. So yes, if you're hiring a rider with hopes of success and them getting you exposure for your brand, I view it as a very, very positive thing. Okay, cool. That is the end of Leah Ask Us Anything. Thanks, everyone, for sending in your questions. Sorry if we didn't get to your questions this week. There were many, uh, so some obviously had to be shelved. We're not on an endless timescale here. He has his favorites as well. No, uh, I don't think any regulars are actually in there this week. Mm. I don't think, I, think they, I don't recognize any of those names. Maybe they're fed anyway. up of not having their questions um, read out. Okay. On the back of what you just said, James, I'm actually interested to talk to JT about this quickly. America, bright lights, big stadiums, a lot of coverage. Uh, Everyone speaks English, so it's easy to like establish a link with your favorite rider or come up with a reason to like said rider. Obviously, Europe's very different, and it's harder, especially for it's the French like the French riders, because obviously native language is a lot more, it's a lot easier to relate. And I think that's a problem that American fans have trying to follow the MXGP series because they struggle to find that athlete that they can really like sort of pinpoint something they like about them aside from what they do on the bike. Like, uh, actually, this year, um, in the Fly Racing post-race podcast, also presented by Fly Racing and the Formula Helmet, Jeremy Sewer has been quite funny and he's really shown his colors. And I've had quite a few tweets and messages from Americans, and I know he has as well. And Americans specifically saying, oh, I never knew Sewer was that funny. I've got someone to cheer for in GPs now. Oh, he like, because they've cut, like, obviously what a rider does off the bike is sometimes more important when establishing a, a fan base. Do you see that as almost like a struggle in MXGP? Like, because I, I do. I think it's hard to kind of make someone marketable in MXGP, especially if the results aren't obviously wins every weekend. Well, I just think for Americans, it's, it's just a cultural difference. You know, the, the names aren't recognizable for many people. They don't speak the language as their first language in many cases anyway. And I just think that creates difficulty, and, and it's no different than for MotoGP as well. It's the same challenge. Uh, but if you take the time to learn personalities and you can get past some of the language barrier and cultural barrier, um, I think it's, it's fine. It just it takes more effort. It's just not as easy. It's not as relatable. You know, a lot of, a lot of Americans have never been to Europe. They've never been at all, let alone a GP. And that's, that's just a barrier that's always going to be there. Uh, I don't think it's ever going to change. It's not going to get easier. You just hope that fans are willing to take the time to work past it. Because once you do, once you take that step, it only, it only has to happen once. Just like myself and my own uh, involvement with MotoGP, once you learn all about it, you don't have to do it again. Like It just comes naturally and you just follow along the storylines and the theme of the season and all that stuff. But that first effort to break through all that is, unfortunately, it's, it's too much to ask for a lot of people. They just would rather not. They'll just find a domestic sport or motocross and supercross, and they'll just latch onto that. That's, um, that's actually something I've put quite a lot of thought into in this break. Like I've sort of been brainstorming ideas and stuff for the end of this year, but mainly next year on like sort of quick, easy content ideas that would help, like, would make it easy for an American fan to be like, oh, that guy's funny, that guy's smart, that guy, pinpoint what they like about each person. Because I think that, like I say, I think it almost needs to be made, in one minute, you almost need to be able to present the best qualities of that person in a way that an American fan or an international fan can be like, okay, that's what I like about you, I will now watch you and cheer for you specifically, therefore having more interest in MXGP. 
Have you ever have you ever watched uh, Drive to Survive? Oh yes, I have. That's what we need. Oh, yes, that, that's what. Oh, wow. That's what MXGP needs. Honestly, for American fans to have that engagement, where it's the narration is in English and there's behind the scenes personalities are exposed, the intricacies of the sport are exposed. That's that's the the key. That's what got me into Formula One. That that really solidified my fandom into Formula One was now I know. Now I know this about this rider. I know, you know, Sergio Perez backstory. I know all these things. And before I didn't, so it was hard to get enthusiastic about watching it. But now one time, one series, and now I'm hooked. MXGP against all odds coming at the end of the season. Six episodes, 20 minutes an episode, MX Vice production. It was meant to be released on YouTube through the season, but for some reason the decision was made where now all six episodes are released at once. I think it's a week of Christmas. It's all yeah, getting that's released. The trend, so though. everybody wants to binge. Yeah, yeah. So that's. I think uh, enough. In speaking of sewer, um, we've had a brainstorming session, and I think Saturdays with sewer may become a thing here in a dis- not so distant future. And we may be. I don't know what we're going to be doing in the Saturday with sewer segment, but I think on YouTube we might be just generally trying to have fun. So <laughs> something to watch out for. Something to watch out for. <laughs> Right, let's, uh, final break, final part coming up. Uh, that's the end of part two of the MXY show. Uh, and of course, part two is presented by Technical Touch with an air oil separated closed cartridge design that's well known in the MX world. The KYB factory kit suspension from our friends at Technical Touch was perfected on one of the toughest tracks in the MXGP series. You too can experience the best in suspension like Jeremy Sewer and Ben Watson and close to home too. Visit technical-touch.com slash KYB-authorized-dealer to find an authorized KYB by Technical Touch dealer in your country. Take your ride to the next level. And of course, we would like to thank Fly Racing, Liat, Planet Moto Holidays, Prox Racing Parts, Technical Touch, KYB, Even Strokes, MXGP TV, Backyard Design UK, Asterix Knee Braces, Armour Nutrition, and Blenzel Oils. That's part two, part three coming up. We'll be back in five minutes. You are listening to the MX Vice Show. Even Strokes is the newest e-commerce store in motocross. Built by motocross enthusiasts, Even Strokes understands your need and offers all of the products you need for a weekend at the track. Shop now for Yoko, Alpine Stars, Fast House, and more at evenstrokes.com. Known for producing the world's most effective neck braces, Liat continues to evolve and can now protect riders from head to toe. No matter whether it is their new for 2021 4.5 boot, which offers advanced technology at a mid-range price point, or the all-new 7.5 helmet that comes with free Liat bulletproof velocity goggles, Liat has you covered. Shop Liat's extensive line of off-road gear on www.liat.com. For over 60 years, Blenzel Racing Caster has been the secret choice for many championship-winning riders and engine builders. From top tuners like Terry Varner and factory-level riders like Michael Essie, who won the 2020 two-stroke world championship using Blenzel, nothing out-lubricates or outperforms Blenzel's full line of caster-based two-stroke oil. From the original green label racing caster to the 455 Ultra or the versatile gold label, Blenzel has you covered. To learn more about Blenzel's rich heritage or to shop Blenzel's full line of 2T and 4T racing lubricants, visit Blenzel.com and follow them at Blenzel on Instagram. Instagram. The MX Vice Show. Welcome back to episode 82 of the MX Vice Show podcast. JT Rottweiler has departed. He had things to do at Fly Racing. Obviously, a lot going on over there, as you learn at the uh, in the first part of the show. So he's um jumped back into the real world, into his into his full time job, and uh, yeah, 
So we thank JT for uh, coming on. I, I really enjoyed it. It was nice to talk to someone who was on the same intellectual level as myself. Me too. Rather than pandering to dum-dum here. But, you know. Me dum-dum like gum-gum. Okay, see? Um, but no, I really, I really enjoyed having JT on, so I hope that everyone else enjoyed listening to that. See, if you were a movie fan, that is actually from A Night in the Museum. You'd see, you, you, have, you have no clue. You only know about motocross. I'm just going to quickly, I'm just going to do this read quickly. If you actually, can spare me two minutes, I just need to do this sponsor read. Yes, but before we get to the sponsor read, I've got some questions for you, which I would like to, to literally, they were sent in by an avid listener Okay. about Formula One. So okay, let me just do, do the sponsor read. Okay. Do you read, and then we're going to do some Formula One questions. Part three of the MXY show is presented by our friends at Prox Performance Parts. The final part of the MXY show is brought to you by Prox Performance Parts, who supply genuine replacement products which meet or even exceed, yes, exceed OEM quality. All parts are manufactured to highest quality standard at state-of-the-art manufacturing facilities around the world. Hence why everything that Prox Racing Parts offer exceeds the highest level requirements for all motocross riders require. Many of the Prox parts are actually made by the same suppliers to the OEMs. Head to pro-x.com now to learn more. If you're not factory and you want to be factory, visit Prox. That's what you do. Every part for every bike, no matter the year, no matter the CCs, no matter the color, there are parts for your bike that will just give you that little edge that you are looking for on the track at a cost-effective price. Honestly, I cannot stress enough how much if you listening to this right now have never visited Prox for parts for your bike, do that right now. And I, I strongly attest that it will change your life and your riding experience because you'll suddenly discover how many cost-effective solutions there are to make slight improvements to your bike. And not only that, the quality, as mentioned in that read, the quality will help the cost-effective side of your racing because these parts are going to last longer than whatever you've got on your bike at the moment. So visit pro-x.com now. Trust me, and you won't regret it. I promise. That's Prox Performance Parts. James? <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was wondering what you were doing. Well, right, come on yeah. in. Who sent you these questions? Would you like me to talk to you about Prox Performance Parts, or would you like me to go into the questions? Uh, who sent you these questions, first of all? Uh, I can't tell you that, because I do well, not want to burn my source. I'm pretty, it's not really a source. I'm pretty sure they would want the credit, because otherwise you're just taking the credit. The person went through the time to send in something for this show, so why don't you give them the credit they deserve? Um, like, okay. if, I'd, if I'd gone through the time to send they, you something... I didn't know whether they wanted to be a secret. Well, why would it be a secret? Because, like I said, I don't know whether they wanted to be a secret, but first off, what we need is, um, hang on a minute, uh, you're going to have to bear with me. Oh. You want me to go back to... There you go. You've had your intro. Please don't tell me you're playing something through your phone. Oh, yeah, I've got, I've got some. Oh. Hang on. You were doing so well. You were doing so well on this podcast with JT. He's been gone for two minutes, and I'm already, like, over you. Well, I was trying to find... Um... Well, here we go. Hold on. This isn't, this isn't good. Here we this go. This isn't good. Hang on. Bear with me. Here we go. This is it. Oh, this brilliant. Could be, took, all this you could, could have be a bonus question for you. Do you know what this music is? It's a Formula One theme tune, or the old one, anyway. Exactly. Who is it by? I don't know. What? You don't know who is it? Right. Anyway, we're, we're going you into the questions. We're going into the questions. It was Fleetwood Mac, by the way, the chain. 
Okay, this is not going to go very well. Right, are you ready? Who sent you the questions? Right, uh, I would just like to say the questions are from uh, our friend, James Dunford. The James Dunford, who has assisted MX Vice over the years. Uh, he's put together these five questions for you uh, in this new show, Arma, You Brighter Than a Phillips. Um, Arma don't pay for the title sponsorship of this game. I am available for sponsorship. Okay, okay, right. So uh, if you're interested in coming aboard... Um, okay, you're boring us now. Can we just get into the questions? Okay, right. Question one. In the 2020 Hungarian Grand Prix, one driver crashed on the way to the grid. Which driver was it? And for additional point, where did he finish in the race? Hmm. Oh, don't don't, don't, don't oh, start Googling. Oh, oh, don't start Googling. Just, no, something's just... I think just... I want to say... Was Have it Max Verstappen? Fuck off. How did you get this? Something in my brain. I didn't have it at all. I had no clue. And then he's, suddenly, he's in my brain. to you, hasn't he? <laughs> no, he hasn't. He's honestly, honestly, I had nothing. My brain was blank. And then suddenly, some, I have randomly had like this wave come over me. I don't know why I know that. Something just, I, something, a sixth sense. I don't know what, a sixth sense. Okay, and what, for an extra point, what position did he finish? Oh, not a clue. Sixth. Second. If, okay. I'd, if I'd got that off of a complete yeah, guess, I'd, the game would be over. <laughs> I just pulled the plug. <laughs> right. Uh, in its Formula One history, McLaren have had nine engine suppliers. Name three of them. Mercedes? Uh, correct. Honda? Correct. You're, you're laughing. This must be your surgeon. <laughs> no, I don't. It's because I know. Renault. Renault. Damn it, you got free. <laughs> <laughs> you, honestly, I'm not, I'm not happy about this. You've either been sent the questions or you're searching. Oh, I haven't. I, didn't, I swear to God, this is off the top of my head. Continue. In the 1994 oh, I don't know. Grand Prix, I wasn't even born. Michael Schumacher finished second. He had a mechanical issue from a very early in the race, which made the res- this result astounding. What was the issue? I, I wasn't even born. So he finished second. What do you think would, could have been the issue to make it an, an, an astounding result? He had a puncher. No, he had gearbox issues. He was stuck in fifth gear. Oh, sounds astounding. Okay. I'm blown away. Question four. Uh, Nico Rosberg won a 2016 Formula One World Championship beating teammate Lewis Hamilton. Only one non-Mercedes works driver took pole position that year. Who was it? And an additional point for what track? What, what does, what does, what does non, what was the wording? Mercedes works driver. Yeah, sorry. Nico Rosberg won the 2016 Formula One Championship, beating teammate Lewis Hamilton. Only one non-Mercedes works driver took pole position that year. Who was it? Non-Mercedes works driver took pole position that year. Oh, oh, wait, that doesn't mean like... So I take it that, I take it the Mercedes team is factory Mercedes. Yes. Okay, so it's like not fact... It's almost like standing construct was, that sort of game. Yeah. Oh, actually, no, because it would obviously mean... Which non-Mercedes uh, works Mac- driver? E- e- I'll go for... I think in 2016, if I, I think it would have either been... It would have probably been a Red Bull person and 
I think in, on Red Bull was either Max Verstappen or Daniel Ricardo. I think Red Bull is, uh, from what I gather from seeing shit that I don't really care about, Red Bull's closest to Mercedes, and I guess they don't use Mercedes because they're the competitors. So I guess one of those. It was Daniel Ricciardo. <laughs> you fucking got these questions. You have got these questions. No, it's just, I just had them up. I'm not having it. You've definitely got these questions. There's no way you're a Formula One knowledge. I haven't. It's good. It's not really knowledge. I'm, just, I'm literally just guessing. It's common sense. Formula One's boring as hell. It's quite easy to common sense your way through it. As I, I far do. as I can gather from the outside looking in, the only team that's ever even good enough to do anything is Red Bull other than Mercedes. So I just, and I remember that Daniel Ricciardo go because I follow him on Instagram and I know he was at Red Bull for like that sort of time. I don't know right. if Max Verstappen was there. Okay, question five. In okay, 2019, the great Charles Leclerc joined Ferrari and won two races for the team. The yep. technical directive was issued Ugh. which drastically reduced the performance of the Ferrari car. <laughs> which area of the car did this relate to? This, these words mean nothing to me. A technical directive. <laughs> the wing. Uh, they had an engine which was deemed to break the rules, even though the FI oh, no. couldn't prove it relating to the amount of oil burned. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't care that much. <laughs> so a huge thank you to James Dunford for spending the, uh, spending the time and getting these questions over to me. Much appreciated. Next week, we are going to films. <laughs> I was bored during that, to be honest. Anyway, thanks for that. Was I'll you? take over hosting duties again. So, have you, did you enjoy having JT on? Yeah, it was awesome. It was, um, it was good to, uh, to hear his thoughts on MXGP as well. I mean, we, we talk candidly, you know, online and, and, and stuff like when we meet up, but it's, it's good to, uh, for him to... Obviously, I think what helps with, with JT as well, he, 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 through Fly, he's obviously talking to teams and he's hearing about their, you know, ideas for next year and stuff like that so it's it was good to uh to get some insights there as well true that true that right planet motor bombshell of the week what have you got for us um why you think escaping everyday life and riding in spain has never been better and you can still experience that right now planet motor still have packages available plus customizable options with a planet motor academy there is a lot going on at planet's moto including 2022 dates which are flying off the shelf absolutely flying off the shelf. Get involved. Hit tracks like Red Sand as soon as possible. Head to planetmoto.co for detailed information about the packages available and just everything the experience offers. And head to their social media, Planet Moto Holidays, for just a little look at what you, the luxury that you could experience at a fraction of the price that you probably expect. Why wouldn't you want to ride in Spain? There's no good answer to that. Planet Moto Holidays. What's your Planet Motor holiday? What's your Planet Motor bombshell of the week? Well, I I think uh, if I'm going to go for a safe option, I would say it was uh, the February announcement, which came out quite early. Because um, I've got to be honest, I didn't expect that until the end of the year. Oh yeah, I meant to say in the PR, Steve Guttridge, Kawasaki's head man in Europe, said that they were happy to get this out now so that Fevre can stop answering questions and focus on the task at hand. So that's obviously why they did it, because they didn't want all of these, like, they didn't want all of this speculation and that, like, because obviously, if they didn't announce it, every interview I do in February for the rest of the year, I would have probably said, what are you doing next year? What are you doing next year? What are you doing next year? Whereas now, that's a moot point. 
So I, I get it. Just again, a weird sort of idea, weird like way for them to, I don't know, just surprised that that is, yeah, just surprised that that was actually mentioned in the PR. Hmm. Okay, that was terrible. I've got two. Okay, what's one? Lommel is in trouble. People are trying to shut Lommel down. What? Why would they do such a thing? I'm just pulling up what I've seen. Is this where it's only allowed so many people on, on track? Wake up. Uh, this is from Lommel's Instagram. Wake up. They want to close Lommel track. Polit- politici- politician Zuhal Demir wants new regulations to reduce the noise pollution at Lommel track. They gave us a choice to reduce the noise. They, they gave us a choice to reduce the noise, but if we have to follow the rules, 20 riders a day on all tracks, including kids, 94 decibel for the bikes, less track time, decibel control at the gate and on track, less days to ride, etc., etc. It is not possible to keep the track alive. In other words, they are killing the track with their rules. Share this post, tag all your friends, spread the word. Hashtag save Lommel. Wow. But there's no petition or anything. I, I presume they're going to need to get a petition. Like, sharing an Instagram post doesn't really do much to, like, like, I guess they need to get a petition going, but it doesn't look like they've got one yet. Um, maybe I'll start one for them. But yeah, so that's a, hopefully, hopefully this is just a scare and that doesn't come true because I can't, I can't imagine what European motocross looks like without Lommel. Not because of the GP, but because that's literally where all of the work gets done. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so um, we'll see, I guess. Um, and secondary, I hear Suzuki are sniffing around some teams in GPs. What? Yes. What? Yes. How? I'm not what, sure I, I believe thought, it, though, because the person I, that texted me this got even, said, you up. even said probably bullshit, but someone, this is the rumor going around is that Suzuki are talking to a team. Doesn't sound like anything too serious. Like That's anything crazy. too, like doesn't sound like they're coming back on a factory team or anything, but maybe they're, even if it doesn't come true, which I highly doubt it doesn't, if they're at least, if hopefully it's true to the point where they're at least showing some interest, because that's yeah. something, that's something. Damn. I mean, if Suzuki did return and you brought Triumph into the fold, honestly, what a great move for Motocross. It'd just be like a cornucopia of manufacturers. But just, it's just the, Money going back into the sport. So, you know, that's what we need. That's what we need. Um, I wanted to, uh, to say something. Obviously, uh, there was another bombshell um, at the weekend, which uh, was, was devastating to hear. And it was the, uh, the, the loss of life to, um, to Jude Morris. It duns the weekend, and uh, just from everybody at MX Vice in, in the whole motocross community, uh, we were all really, really shocked. Lewis, we were just discussing uh, before the show just the, the impact it had on us. We didn't know Jude, but uh, it really took. Uh, you know, it, it was a really hard thing to to kind of come to terms with the weekend, and just thoughts are out there with um, you know, Jude's family and uh, his close friends, you know, thoughts and prayers to those guys. So um, it's never something you want to hear. And such a promising, promising rider, you know, uh, had a great future uh, in the sport. And it was just, uh, you know, just just absolutely devastating. So, um, yeah, thoughts are with everybody. And, um, you know, if, I'm sure there's, if, if people are greatly affected by this, then, then please speak to someone as well. Uh, so, yeah, I just wanted to say that, Lewis. 
yeah i it's no words really no words to be honest um it's just it's just bizarre how it's almost bizarre it like it's bizarre how tight the motocross community really is like you don't like everyone always says it but you only see it when something like this happens which i guess is unfortunate in a way yeah. but like it's mind blowing how tight the community really is speaks volumes about a sport and it says something about Jude as a person with the amount of people he uh, you know his passing affected because uh, it, the tributes were 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 unreal you know is a great loss. I concur. Yeah, like I say, no words really. But this week, uh, coming up in Turkey, Lewis. Oh, just you're taking control of hosting the show, are you? Well, I was gonna. One thing I was gonna ask about is what classes are involved. Is it just MX2 and MXGP? No, it's WMX and EMX Open. Okay. Otherwise, AKA, not sure what I'm gonna do on Saturday. <laughs> That's so bad. I actually don't know how many riders are going to turn up in the EMX Open class, to be honest. That's a, that's a good point. I mean, have they actually released uh, entry lists yet? They've rele- the FIM have released entry lists for um, uh, MX, uh, MX GP and MX2, but obviously that, the FIM doesn't, um, and WMX, but the FIM doesn't do EMX. Um, so I'm waiting for MXGP to release the entry list for EMX Open, but I'm interested to see. Um, yeah, interested to see. And uh, yeah, you may have heard actually, England reviewed their travel list on last week. And despite many rumors, Turkey stayed red, which effectively means that any British person returning from, or anyone returning from Turkey to UK for any reason whatsoever, doesn't matter if you're here to save a life, doesn't matter if you're here because there's a wedding, doesn't matter, like, doesn't matter, doesn't, no excuses available. You have to go to a government hotel and quarantine in said, head ho- said hotel for £2,500 per person and not allowed to leave this hotel room for 10 days. Uh, that's the only way. So for that reason, the British Championship final round is the weekend, is, a, is four days after Turkey 2. So that's effectively ruled out Sean Simpson, Hitachi KTM, and that's it really, to be honest. As far as British riders who do the British Championship who would have gone there. But yeah, so that's a bit of a blow. Um, I was I wasn't even sure if I was going to go to be honest because like I was just staring at the. Ca- I just didn't have a anywhere to go <laughs> after Turkey. But um, I eventually found a solution that allows me to go to Turkey and avoid the dreaded hotel quarantine at two thousand five hundred pounds per person. So yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's going to be a bit of a. Um, uh, you've you found a. Obviously, a, a, a get around uh, for it, but obviously, it's not going to be a thing for the British riders. What need to be back? Yeah, if it's, there's, there is a way to get around it because you just don't come back to England for 10 days. But obviously, if you've got to for the British Championship, then you are screwed. So yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Um, but I'm just, I'm just basically going to wander in between. Wander around Europe. I'm basically just going to be on the globe. <laughs> strut, like, I'm, just, in, I'm basically going to be in a waiting room for a week on, in the globe somewhere and just hoping that it works out. Not ideal, obviously. Not, not ideal at all, but needs must. And I want to give everyone the best MXGP experience that I can. And for that, I have to be there. That you do. That you do. We, I mean, we spoke, um, we spoke a lot on the podcast before, but it, it's not the same. What, you know, you have to be at the events. You have no, to be No, and I really, wanna, I really want to nail, I really want to do the very best that I can from this point on as well. I really want to step it up. Like I said, I've talked to the sewer about doing some sort of Saturdays with sewer game type thing. 
yeah which i'm which will be like a podcast or a youtube video but i haven't quite nailed down what the because i don't want it to be an interview about racing i haven't quite nailed down what the topic would be of it um but i think I you just s- gotta get random topics for him well, that's what i was thinking like just get him going on something random yeah just uh, all right I reckon it'd be hilarious. Just like, just get some political and religious things in as well. It'd be awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm struggling. No, no. no. <laughs> I, str- I struggle. I str- I'm struggling a little bit, to be honest, at the moment, because I really want to step it up, but there's only so many hours in a day. So it's quite hard for me to like get my head around. But I'm trying my best. I'm trying my best. Um, but 2022 looks really good for MX Vice. I've got, there's lots of plans for 2022 to like, that's going to, good. Like, it's going to work out very, very nicely, I hope, if it all comes off. And a new website. Yeah, which should be sooner rather than later. That's going to change. I, James, I'm leaving that one with you, mate. Can you please get the new website up? Yes, yes. Bloody hell. I'll Ian, do everything else at MX Vice, but for the love of God, I need you to just get this website up. Being taken care of as we speak. I will cry when that website goes up because it's so desperately needed. Yes. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a priority uh, within the, uh, the web team at the moment. All right. So, <laughs> anything on your mind? Uh, no, obviously the, uh, what happened at Dunn's obviously the weekend, you know, completely caught me off guard. Um, you know, it, it, sometimes you, you question, uh, being in the sport, but it is because we love it. But yeah, I think it, it's just nice to return to racing. It, I, I managed to watch American Outdoors the weekend. Where was it? I can't even think. I really wish for JT was still on the phone to hear this. Yeah, anyway, I enjoyed promo across Iron the Iron Man, James. Iron Man, that was it. Yeah, very good. Um, that was really cool. Yeah, so that was, I enjoyed racing the weekend. Um, that, I thought that was quite good. Uh, shame about Max, obviously, because I always look forward to watching him. But um, I guess he's going to be out now for, what, 10 days? Uh, May race this weekend. Really? May not. Depends how he's feeling. I was going to say, crikey, that's a, that's a tall ask. Um, yeah, COVID really affects you. Yeah, but some people have it worse than others, don't they? And I think he's moving through the symptoms quite quickly. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Yeah, well, good, so, good um, news if he is. I mean, fantastic news. But um, yeah, I had no idea he was even thinking about it. Maybe he'll race parlor. It's not yeah. 100%. But yeah, uh, it's weird as well. When Latvia finished and we were staring down the barrel of these three weekends off, I was like, oh my God, that's such a long time. Blah, 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 blah. It's flown by. I can't believe there's been three weekends off because it feels like there's been one. You, you have actually got another break though, haven't you? Because even though it's, there's two rounds in Turkey, they're not Sunday and Sunday, they're Sunday and Wednesday. You're saying, James is pointing this out because he didn't know this until like no, an hour I, ago. I didn't know. I didn't know, but maybe other people don't know as well. You know, there are other people uh, who have got jobs and do other stuff, Lewis. Yeah, so but keeping up with a calendar isn't exactly a huge toll on someone. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So, um, what are yeah. you going to do with your week off in between? It's not a week off, and I told you I've ca- I can't come back to England, so it's it's actually the biggest inconvenience ever. <laughs> <laughs> what What are you going to do in Barcelona? Zero fun. Basically, <laughs> like it's absolutely shockingly shit. <laughs> I'm literally stranded outside of the UK, not allowed to return home. I'm not going to lie, and ideal because at first I was like, oh. Well, I could stay in Turkey because obviously like nice weather, nice hotel, like that would do. But then you can't do that because that doesn't solve my problem because then I'll, ultimately I'll still return. Like I've got to go somewhere else for 10 days. <sighs> what to do, Lewis? What to do? You know, I, just, I feel like other people would fold in this situation, but I'm just striving on. But I think this is a good place to end the show, James. Okay, no problem. Okay. 
as always, I'd just like to shout out again, uh, final part of the MXY show was presented by Prox Performance Parts, who supply genuine replacement products which meet or even exceed OEM quality. All parts are manufactured to highest quality standard at state-of-the-art manufacturing facilities around the world. Hence why everything the Prox Racing Parts offer exceeds the highest level requirements that all motocross riders require. Many of the Prox Parts are actually made by the same suppliers to the OEMs. Head to pro-x.com now to learn more. And in more sponsor news, as I mentioned, Liat, uh, September the 1st. It's not September the 1st yet, so I can't talk about it, but September the 1st, if you're listening to this on September the 1st, after September the 1st, head to at official Liat on Instagram or MX5 social media to see big things coming from Liat for 2022. Yeah, big things coming to Liat. We're going to have more on that in the coming weeks. Even we're going to welcome in uh, Liat's marketing manager, Dave King, to the show as a co-host. But um, I'd just like to voice again how much I enjoyed having JT on the podcast. Really, really enjoyed it, actually. Good to talk to someone on the same level as myself, as I said, not dumb-dumb here. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can get JT back on in the not-so-distant future because I feel like people will dig this. James, final thoughts? Uh, final thoughts. I am anticipating Renault to increase his lead in Turkey. And I believe the MX1, uh, MX1 MXGP group top four is going to be even closer. I think uh, there's going to be a few points separating when they come out of um, uh, when they come out of both rounds of Turkey. That's nice. Once again, I'd I'd like to thank Fly Racing, Liat, Planet Motor Holidays, Prox Racing Parts, Technical Touch, KYB, Even Strokes, MXGP TV, Backyard Design UK, Asterix, Knee Braces, Armour Nutrition, and Blenzel Oils. That's Fly Racing with a formula helmet that Conrad Muse and Adam Sterry use. Liat, big things coming September the first. Big things coming. The wait is almost over. Planet Motor Holidays, get to Spain, ride in Spain. Why wouldn't you? Prox Racing Parts, if you're not factory and you want to be factory, choose Prox. Technical Touch, KYB, get A-Kit suspension for your bike, no matter the year, no matter the model. It's available in your country too, thanks to the authorized dealers. Even Strokes, James Burfield here. MXGP TV, you're going to want to use that to watch the bumper MXGP action over the next seven days. That's two rounds, Sunday and Wednesday, both coming to you live from Turkey. MX Vice will be on site with coverage and everything that you need. Backyard Design UK, Tommy Sell uses Backyard Design UK and endorses Backyard Design UK for his products. Asterix knee braces, Tim Geyser uses Asterix knee braces. When was the last time Tim had knee injury? Exactly. Armour Nutrition, use that to fuel your body and take yourself to the next level. And Blenzel oils with their resurgence in the world of motocross. That's been episode 82 of the MX5 show. Thanks again to JT for chiming in, jumping in. We had a lot of laughs, a lot of fun, a lot of insight passed off. Thanks to you, James Burfield. Thanks to you for insulting our guests by insinuating that his name was JT Rottweiler. Oh, speaking of Rottweilers, Lewis, uh, I'd just like to say a happy birthday to Dougie the dog. Thank you, everyone, for listening. That has been episode 82 of the MXY Show podcast. We will be back next week, most likely Friday. Uh, obviously, with the way that the GPs are structured, we can't really do a show Tuesday because it would be out of date by Wednesday. And even the same with Monday, I feel like it would go out of date too quickly. So I think what we're going to do is Friday morning, once I've left Turkey and everything, we will do a show wrapping up both Turkish GPs. So thanks for listening to episode 82. We'll be back with episode 83 next week. Thanks for your support of MX Vice. Thanks for listening. See ya. Bye. You are listening to the MX Vice Show. Even Strokes is the newest e-commerce store in motocross. 
built by motocross enthusiasts, Evenstrokes understands your need and offers all of the products you need for a weekend at the track. Shop now for Yoko, Alpine Stars, Fast House, and more at Evenstrokes.com. Escaping everyday life and riding in Spain has never been better, and you can still experience that right now. Planet Moto still have packages available, plus customizable options with the Planet Moto Academy. If you want to hit the tracks like Red Sand as soon as possible, visit planetmoto.co for more information. Known for producing the world's most effective neck braces, LIAC continues to evolve and can now protect riders from head to toe. No matter whether it is their new for 2021 4.5 boot, which offers advanced technology at a mid-range price point, or the all-new 7.5 helmet that comes with free LIAC bulletproof velocity goggles, LIAC has you covered. Shop Liat's extensive line of off-road gear on www.liat.com. For over 60 years, Blenzel Racing Caster has been the secret choice for many championship-winning riders and engine builders. From top tuners like Terry Varner and factory-level riders like Michael Essie, who won the 2020 two-stroke world championship using Blenzel, nothing out-lubricates or outperforms Blenzel's full line of caster-based two-stroke oil. From the original green label racing caster to the 455 Ultra or the versatile gold label, Blenzel has you covered. To learn more about Blenzel's rich heritage or to shop Blenzel's full line of 2T and 4T racing lubricants, visit Blenzel.com and follow them at Blenzel on Instagram. Instagram. You are listening to the MX Vice Show.